Welcome to the IDP Show. I'm your host, Evan Ronda, joined in the virtual show, Jack, by the one, the only, Dynasty Trip. Or do you go by Football Guys Trip? What's what's the preferred title here? What do we got to go by? I might should change it to Football Guy Trip because I've been playing more contract leagues and Dynasty Leagues lately. So. I love it. Well, I think this might be the first show that I get to ha- get to be on with you specifically. I know we did the draft uh breakdown a couple years back but i'm i'm honored to get to be on an episode with you man it's it's a it's pretty a pretty cool place to be i think to to get to be on an episode with one of the the smartest defensive minds in the industry i would say well you're very kind to say so i appreciate that evan i've always been an admirer of your work and that's awesome i just love to get on on the line and talk football with folks and so i'm excited to, to talk through some game action with you Absolutely. Let's get it. So before we hop into our first game, I'm I'm just kind of like looking at this past week six from like a top down perspective and kind of trying to process and marinate like what the heck even just happened. And it seems like in general, we just saw a lot of either on one hand, relatively expectation football, or on the other hand, things that we expected to be massive blowouts. I think about the 49ers. I think about the Chiefs, maybe or the Eagles, or the Bills, those games were all kind of close. And in fact, so much so that our only two undefeated teams remaining are no longer undefeated. How are you kind of feeling about the power structure of the league in general? Like, do you feel like things are kind of starting to bounce out a little bit, or or was that just kind of like a fluky week? I think it's a pretty fluky week, to be honest with you. You've got the three of the I don't know the top three, but quite possibly the top three teams in the so-called power ranks between the Bills and the Eagles and the 49ers. Um, granted, you have the Chiefs in there too. But you have um, those three teams that I just mentioned on Sunday went in and played against teams with backup quarterbacks. And all, and three and two of them did lose, and one of them probably should have lost if it wasn't for some bad officiating there at the end. So I thought that was pretty remarkable that those three defenses – just came to play in week three and really were so disruptive. I mean, you know, they, those teams, you know, Zach Wilson gets just enough done to get a W uh, with the help of um, uh, a late interception. And Brock Purdy suffers his first loss in the regular season. And um, he, then, then the, uh, the Giants, he just, they stay signing a guy off the street to play left tackle. He's played like 13 snaps of left tackle his whole life. And they're able to hold on well enough that they, I think they only scored nine points, but they, you know, again, some play calling and some officiating, they could have scored more. So I thought it was a pretty remarkable week. I usually feel like that after five weeks, we have a sense as to where things are trending, right? Like we know Carolina's bad. You know, we know they're in competition for the number one pick, but then we see the teams that we think are good and they suddenly raise some pretty interesting question marks. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the intro video for that Giants tackle where he like listed his name and the school he listed. He's just like right off the couch. And I thought that was, <laughs> that was a pretty funny video. Yeah. Uh, sure. But yeah, we've been seeing some pretty impressive defensive play overall in the league. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording the episode. I believe you shared what the, the average score 
in the league, what this past week was like 10 points less than the average from mm-hmm. week one. I, yeah. I, I don't want to butcher that stat. So correct me if I'm off, but I would say it looks like just in general, we're seeing sure maybe a slight deterioration on offensive play as well, but some really strong defenses show out. For sure. Yep. And you see that you got some teams leading the way that you wouldn't expect, like, right, with the Giants we mentioned, and the, the Broncos is the other. The Broncos defense looked like an NFL defense for the first time in several weeks. And so, so you have some performances like that. And it's you, you think some teams are starting to figure some things out. But this, the other thing you would note, too, is that usually the offense has the upper hand with lack of reps and lack of tape to study. And so as the season tends to settle in, I do think there's something to be said for defenses have an opportunity of to see what some teams might be trying to do and how to attack some of those or how to prevent some of those strengths and maybe leverage the weaknesses in those offenses. So I think there's, I think there is a settling in, but I do think that 10 points is uh, per game on average for total score in a game is, is pretty remarkable. And part of that too, is the red zone efficiency. I saw too a stat that, um, that somebody reliable on Twitter posted that the touchdown percentage of red zone drives is 53%, which is the lowest since 2011. So teams like the Giants are kicking field goals rather than able to punch it in. Interesting. Well, I'm thinking here what we want to do is go over a couple injuries here at the start, and then we'll go ahead and get into our games for the listeners because I think just having the context for what players left the game and did not return to the game is is important to touch on at the start. So Marcus Williams, the safety for the Ravens, suffered a hamstring injury. Uh, Yatur Gross Matos, the edge for the Panthers, suffered a hamstring injury, as well as Frankie Luvu, the linebacker for the Panthers, suffered a hip injury. And we'll have to, when we get to that Panthers game, see what implications that had for the rest of the linebackers and the edge rushers. Uh, Eddie Jackson just got back, and he left again with a foot injury. Um, that's the safety for the bears. And then Jerome Baker, the linebacker for the, uh, for the dolphins. And then Xavier Howard, the cornerback for the dolphins suffered a back and a groin injury respectively. And then we got Keon white and Josh Uche, the edge rushers for the Patriots suffered a groin and a head injury or sorry, a head and a foot injury. Uh, my guy Reed Blankenship, the safety for the Eagles suffered a rib injury. And then we got two edge rushers. Montez sweat suffered a thumb injury. Uh, that's the edge rusher for the commanders. And then Marcus Davenport suffered an ankle injury. Uh, it's a high ankle sprain suffered against the suffered against the bears. It's the Vikings edge rusher who just got back and was playing pretty well. So we'll, we'll chat about that a little bit later when we get into it, but we're going to go ahead and begin this week six breakdown with Thursday night football. Our first game here is Broncos versus the chiefs. The Broncos scored eight points. Chiefs scored 19 points. And I think the first thing I want to chat about here is it's just the defensive line. What's going on here, right? We've got Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito currently starting and leading in snaps on the edge on opposite sides with, with Zach Allen kind of, I don't want to say like taking over the interior. Cause that's not quite his role. He's more of a flexible defensive lineman. Um, but, but Jonathan Cooper has been somewhat of a revelation as far as just playing really good football uh, he scored more points this week than he has averaged in the first five, but has been grading really, really well with a 75 grade here in week six. And then Nick Benito opposite him didn't have his best week, uh, but in general has been playing pretty well. But the guy that's really, really looking interesting here is Zach Allen. 
because he scored 15.1 points here in week one, which was about three points higher than his average. And he got a 70 grade. So how are you feeling about this defensive line right now, Tripp? And, and also with the implication that I assume at some point, Baron Browning will be returning to this group. Well, I think first of all, there's a case of the, the common cliche of addition by subtraction. You get a couple of guys that uh, I can only imagine must be distractions and Frank Clark and Randy Gregory. They, ate a lot of ate a lot of cap and cash to get rid of Gregory and all Gregory does is go and immediately collect his first sack of the season with the 49ers so I think motivation might have been a factor uh, I don't have any inside information but, I, but I've seen some takes that oh well the the Broncos just wanted to get the young guys out there well I'm sure they did but it's also because they wanted guys that would play hard so I think that I saw a, um, uh, a Twitter post where somebody posted a brief clip of Demari Mathis feigning a tackle attempt at Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I'm afraid that that's the the mindset right now, the culture in Denver. And so it's good to see these younger players, Cooper and Benito, try to reverse that a little bit and get some production. And what's interesting about this is you have three players you just named, and all three are are showing a little bit in terms of being pressure points on a defensive line. I think if you can get three pressure points, I think you have a chance for team-wide success in your pass rush. And so I think all of them offer some upside and all these guys are certainly waiver. Well, not Allen, but the two edge guys are waiver wire ads to begin the season. And uh, so I, I think it's kind of interesting The what the storyline that strikes me, I guess, out of these, out of these, uh, the Broncos defense is the, is so uh, we talked about before got an air is Josie Jewell playing second fiddle to Alex Singleton. Uh, Singleton was the guy, I think, I, I think they didn't they extend him at the beginning of the season. Yes, and Josie Jewell's in the last year of a veteran of a veteran deal that was signed by uh, when the previous coaching staff was there, and so Jewell has gotten hurt and lost his job as the Green Dot while being hurt, and so um, it's with Singleton playing 100 percent and his his remarkable tackle efficiency that we're not sure is really related to him or not is <laughs> makes him an awfully attractive. Um, uh, source of fantasy production the rest of the season if he can hold on to that role. What do you think about about that about that duo? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? First, because we talk about Alex Singleton playing basically a full time role and being an incredibly efficient tackler, but on the other hand, Josie Jewell coming back from an injury, still not playing a full time snap share. In fact, we see Drew Sanders playing thirteen of those seventy two defensive snaps. Now he didn't do anything with those snaps. He got a twenty nine grade on PFF, but. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking about this as like, should I be optimistic for Josie Jewell because he didn't play a full-time role but still got a good amount of tackles? Or should I be concerned because he only got a 49 defensive grade and there are some trade rumors circulating about whether or not he's even going to be a part of this team? And if he is traded, I'm not exactly a buyer on Drew Sanders because he hasn't really shown me anything yet. Um, so that yeah, that's going to be a tough situation to digest. I think going forward, Alex Singleton is a locked and loaded. I mean, he has been a locked and loaded every week starter. Um, but for Josie Jewell, man, I, I'm, I'll have to throw this back to you because on one hand, like I said, he's playing all right with the snaps that he's getting. But on the other hand, he's not getting more snaps. Should I expect those snaps to increase or should I be concerned that he's being floated as a trade target? And the one other thought I have, it's more of a funny comment, but you mentioned that they have three pressure points on that defensive line. Uh, they're the only three defensive linemen that had more than one pressure. So quite literally only three pressure points, but 
Uh, how are you <laughs> feeling about like, can we expect Josie Jewell to, to get some more consistent usage going forward? Is this just something we'll have to wait and see? I think that anytime you see, you know, this is why I'm a believer in buying talent, even at like positions like linebacker on your fantasy team, because you take a guy like Josie Jewell who's an adequate player and you get a new coaching staff. You're just always subject to looking at that role changing really without notice. And I would not be optimistic that it switches back. It's, it's because unless somebody can come out and say, well, yeah, he was banged like Denzel Perryman example, right? He's got a freaking club on his hand because he broke his hand or something. Well, you can explain why he's lost time to younger, less experienced players. But in this case, I can't explain it. And when I see that, the idea of the, of the trade rumor out there, like, yeah, it could just be a rumor because they're partying with other guys and Jerry Judy's still out there. But this trade deadline is a week away. And you know, it's whether or not he's a target, I think just depends entirely on the landing spot. I you know, what I worry about with Jewel is that he's kind of the proverbial two-down player. So of course, but with Singleton for that matter, neither of these guys are strong coverage defenders. So I, I'm not optimistic that he rebounds. Really, your only hope is if you're a, a guy who rostered him and he was highly drafted. I was really kind of surprised at how high folks were taking him in, in preseason. Uh your, your hope is that the Broncos continue to be this just, you know, um just this you know, bottom feeder that could, that for the defense just can't get off the field and can, and just piles up snaps. So I'm not too, I'm not, I, I would be a seller of jewel if I've got somebody who would take him without really paying attention to snap counts. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Everything else on this defense was pretty much cut and dry. Same old, same old. So I'm going to go ahead and move on over to the chiefs side of the ball. And the first thing I really got to talk about here is just how messy the linebacker usage is. Steve Spagnolo is going to do Steve Spagnolo things. And so let me just read out these snap percentages real quick. Nick Bolton played 88% of snaps. Willie Gay, 69% of snaps. Um, we got Drew Tranquil playing 37% of snaps and Leo Chanel playing 35% of snaps. It's, it's not ideal. I mean, Bolton wasn't the most efficient tackler. Willie Gay was more efficient, but like at the same time, it's just, can we really trust these guys going forward? Cause it seems like at this point now with the injuries that we've seen to Nick Bolton and now him returning, like they've had an opportunity to see all of these guys play a solid amount of snaps and maybe Spags just likes all of them and wants to give them all their time in the spotlight. How do you feel about this linebacker situation? Yeah, I still like Bolton, but I, as far as like, I think I had him as a preseason top five linebacker. And I obviously have to give up the ghost on that at this point. I mean, if he's, you know, he did get banged up and there was talk about him being eased back in, but they got Drew Tranquil and they seem to like his, his ability to organize the defense back there. So in this, we talking about Spags. I mean, Kyle Belfield and I used to, you know, used to laugh though. Well, Spagnol and his bags just hates IDP. That's the only answer for it. <laughs> but I do think there's something to be said for them finding for, you know, they have very, they have different roles and each sub package, they identify the linebacker role is somewhat different. So, you know, you have Mike Salmon, Will and base, but then you have Mike and Buck and, and nickel. And then you have their dime linebacker. I don't remember what they call it. They call it something else. And so each of those roles are roles that a player has to earn and hold down throughout the course of the season. And we saw that last year with Bolton, where he was able to earn that dime linebacker role. And that's what cemented him as a full-time player in August. And now we're seeing, you know, them wanting to work in tranquil a little bit. And it, which is interesting. I tranquil didn't show me a ton in coverage and, and, 
in LA last year, but um, they they seem to like they seem to like him out there. I still think Bolton is clearly the better player, so I, I would think that Bolton would eventually win the job back. And but um, so I would be if someone's selling based on the low output that that we saw over the last week or two, then I think I'd be a buyer. I, there's certainly a lot of risk involved there, though. What about you? Yeah, I think I agree with you. You make a really strong argument. At, at the end of the day, talent wins out, and I think that's important. Talent and efficiency, I think, are going to shine through here. Plus, it's not like you're going to be selling these guys for anything like super mind-boggling. So here, I would probably just hold Bolton and Gay and and just hope that hope that they score some more points going forward. I I do also want to touch on real quick um, their their safety situation. I've seen now a couple weeks in a row where they're safety two. I don't really want to call it their free safety, but their non Justin Reed safety has actually just been a split between Brian cook and Mike Edwards. And it's basically made neither player startable. Uh, But the player that has continued to be pretty impressive is Justin Reed. I know Addy is very, very excited about this and he, he ended up getting five tackles, a tackle for loss, interception sack. Like, this is this is pretty impressive stuff from Justin Reed. I guess really what I'm curious about here is is he just was this just a big week because he scored 27 points here in week six, but he's averaged 13 points per game on the season. Is that is that some sort of like outlier production? Like, yes, obviously it's a sack and an interception in the same week, but like, can we expect their their safety two usage to have an impact on the efficiency Justin Reed plays? Or is this kind of just like a, a sell window, perhaps? I think it's Justin Reed. I tweeted about this a couple weeks ago. The Chiefs are playing a little less too high than they were last year, especially if they're in competitive games. Now they're showing too high if they're blowing people out. But if they're playing in close games, they're showing more one high. And Justin Reed is a strong safety in that sense. He's coming down to the box, and he's being asked to to blitz and, and to attack line of scrimmage. And he was doing that a little bit last year, but it's just the, the, the deep sets were so – so abundant that he just didn't show up in the box score. He's starting to show up in the box score this year. And and and, and uh the the slot defender, Legarius Sneed last year is who got a lot of these opportunities. And so you're seeing Reed start to cut into that a little bit with Sneed is playing pr- almost exclusively boundary. McDuffie's a smaller guy and he's playing in the slot and he does get those blitz opportunities, but so is Reed. And Reed's the guy that I think is attractive. So I, I'm if people think that this is a flash in the pan, then I'm a buyer on this. I think that he's a guy that could finish the safety two on the season. I really like that. Um, any other thoughts here? I'm looking at the defensive line. George Karloftis got four <clears throat> pressures. Felix and Udike Uzoma only played five snaps. I couldn't see anything about an injury, but that does seem to be a lower snap count than usual. Uh, Chris Jones led the team in, in in pressures and had himself an insane week, like looking like he could probably be, I mean, definitely a DT1, but possibly even the DT1 rest of season. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts here on this defensive line or any other position groups? Well, I think it's 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 safe to settle on Jones as the best interior rusher in the game now. I think that he's, you know, without Aaron Donald, uh, he's certainly matching Aaron Donald now. And Aaron Donald has no help, very little help on that D line. And, and Jones is just, is just playing just lights out. 
Now, the only thing about Jones is that he never has that high tackle floor. It's always been the knock on him. Really, throughout most of his career, he's been a guy that misses tackles and just doesn't collect tackles like you would want a defensive tackle to do in the middle. So if you're if you're somebody in a more balanced or tackle-heavy scoring system, he's not your DT overall number one DT. But yeah, if you're in a big play format, I think I like his ongoing sack upside better than I do Aaron Donald's for that matter. I love it. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the... First game from Sunday, we've got the Ravens who scored 24 points versus the Titans who scored fifth, uh, sorry, 16 points Ravens over Titans. Uh, if any of you guys don't know these scores already, I mean, I think you're probably already behind, but there have been a couple weeks where I like the week that the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals. I didn't even know the outcome of the game until like Monday. Cause I was just so busy. So, Hey, if that's you, you're the one person you're welcome. I guess the, the first thing I got to mention here is just, is Patrick queen and Roquan Smith, both being top 10 plays at linebacker consistently every single week. I mean, oh my goodness. They are both killing it. Like Patrick Queen, let's see, he got nine tackles. Um, He got 21 points here in week six. Roquan Smith only got eight points here in week six, but he's averaging 18 through the first five weeks. He also got nine tackles. How are we feeling about this linebacker duo? I know Roquan didn't have his best graded game, but it's Roquan Smith. I'm not too concerned about that grading for just a one-week sample. How are we feeling about this position group? Well, I, I, I was really surprised to see the tackle prop for Patrick Queen at six and a half this week. I was like, really? Against Derrick Henry and the Titans? I think like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not a big better on these things, but like I, that was really stood out to me as kind of one of those where somebody's going to make some money on that one. So, yeah, this is a defense that's playing a, a fair amount of too high, and the, the safeties are, are the linebackers are just set up in the middle of that defense to eat. And you got a team like the Titans who, you know, they turn the ball over, they take sacks left and right, that offensive line has a long way to go to come together. So, yeah, this was this was like a sweet spot for the, for these two, both of these two, two guys, and it's really Queen that took advantage of it this week. Uh, the big story after me in this in – this, uh, this lineup this week were really two two guys. You had Justin Matabuke and Jadavian Clowney coming through with with a handful of sacks. And granted, somebody had to get them, but these are probably two guys who are not high on the wish list of fantasy drafters over the over the pre over the summer. And Clowney in particular, man, he looked like he was just washed in Cleveland last year. Just did nothing as opposite Miles Garrett. He comes out here and he has only two tackles, but they're both sacks. And uh, Clowney has just been an enigma for a long time. What do you think about his long-term sustainability as, as an option going forward? Yeah, I'm I'm a little on the fence about Clowney right now because, I mean, they've got a very heavy rotation. They just added Kyle Van Noy, and he led the team in snaps at the edge. He played 32. Then Jadeveon Clowney played 28. Then Tavius Robinson played 25. Then Malik Harrison played 24. And this isn't even counting uh Odafe Owe and David Ojabo who surely will make the situation even more complicated once they return healthy. So I'm I'm a little skeptical about the consistency simply because I know that with a lower snap share it's going to be more volatile. I don't doubt his ability to be efficient with fewer snaps, but like you said, two tackles equaled two sacks and I'm just a little worried that like all it takes is you know, one dump off pass and that sack becomes a nothing. And I know nine pressures here from Jadeveon Clowney is nothing to scoff at. That is an insane pressure rate. But also keep in mind, this is the Titans. So we're going to see a little bit of a greater than usual 
production from this guy as well. Nice. Um, let's see one other, one other position group I want to talk about here, kind of looking at their safety situation again, reminding you that, um, what's his name? They're, they're free safety. Marcus Williams. He, he Mm -hmm. suffered a hamstring injury. So we get the return of the one and only Geno stone. If Williams is out, I'm looking at Geno stone as like a deeper start, but I'm, I'm not really too, too invested in him too much going forward. Also looking here at Kyle Hamilton, he played 32 of 55 snaps. I would just monitor that. I don't know if that's an injury or if that's just they decided to switch things up here with their defensive backs. So he, I mean, he had a really, really bad 27 grade. So I'm sure, I'm sure Aaron's really hoping that that was just a one-time thing, which is why I'm not seeing it here on our doc. (laughs) Hate to call him out like that. (laughs) Uh, Our, our resident Ravens fan, but uh, we'll keep an eye on practice reports and see what his injury status is, if he is even injured at all, or what the situation is here. But let's go ahead and move on to the Titans. And Just a quick note. Yeah. I think he was ejected. Oh, well, that, that'll that do it. That's yeah. It helps to watch football games when you're talking about football games. So <laughs> Something to be said for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me let me talk about my man's, my man's Aziz Alshire over here. My 2021 IDP MVP, never forget, love this guy. This was a great matchup for linebackers. So we knew it was going to be good going in because it's the Ravens offense, which is very productive for linebackers. But, oh my gosh, Aziz Alshair got 15 tackles on 100% of snaps. So the last three games, his, his points per game average has been 20 points per game, which is very, very impressive. He got a 78 grade here on PFF. This past week, can we expect Aziz Alshair to continue producing? Maybe not at this rate, simply with that high of a tackle efficiency against this Ravens defense. But like, I guess linebacker one, linebacker two, linebacker three, where would we fit him in as far as like projecting him for the rest of the season? And is this a guy that people even in shallower leagues, that leagues that maybe only start two linebackers, can we trust him in shallower leagues as well? I I had him as a preseason LB two, and I'm I'm, st- I'm comfortable with that projection. It's he's his tackle efficiency is always going to be a little bit lower playing for the Titans. They just they're they're a team that send, tends to you know play a little more man. It tends to spread those tackles out a little bit or across their personnel. You know they have for years had very high tackling defensive backs, especially the slot defender. You know they had overall number one DB at his, uh, uh, was a was uh, Logan Ryan a few years ago as a slot defender. So yeah, he's limited in that sense, but um, I, I, I'm satisfied and comfortable with him, with him going forward as that, as that LB two play. And if you're in a shallower league like that, where you're only starting one or two players, then he's a guy that you probably want to watch the matchups for. Like you were saying, the Ravens tend to funnel a lot of, a lot of tackle attempts into the middle of the field and those linebackers tend to clean up. So he was a, he was a great start this week. Uh, you know, if you're playing a team that's, you know, it's not able to control the ball or, you know, not a team that, that runs effectively, then you might want to avoid playing Al Shire if you've got a better option in that, in that sense. But, um, but yeah, I like, I like him pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with him in this places that I got him. I think the, the more interesting one is, are we comfortable with Harold Landry? Uh, he's, he finally did come through this year, this week with the, with the sack, but he's been a, a bit of a slow starter. I think he's coming off of an ACL. And so, it always, you know, he, he did have, he did have a full year to recover because he popped that ACL at the very beginning of September of last year. But uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, you'd still expect those guys that we, with 12 months out that 
you would have expected him to be a full participant throughout the summer program. And I don't think he was. And so I think he's been a little slower to recover. So I would say I, my, I, my comfort level is with him is pretty good. I think he's a good player and I think that he will pick it up as the season progresses. How about you? I'm a little more hesitant. I think right now his, his true pass set pressure rate is like 6.3%. His actual, like just overall pressure rate, his win rate is, is like 4.6%. And in Ouch. this game, he only got one pressure for one sack. So mm -hmm. it's a little on the lucky side of things. I know he's been really struggling to be as effective as he once was back in the day when he was a huge, huge snap player. So I, I'm a little more watered down on this than you are. Like I still like Harold Landry as a long-term play. I don't necessarily think he's washed. I don't think he is incapable of returning to his former self. But I do believe that his points this week are not an accurate reflection of what he did on the field, I guess is just like a wholesale kind of efficiency and skill basis. So mm -hmm. I want to see him get that win rate up. I want to see him get more pressures more consistently, and I want to see him have a higher snap share. Um, also, I do want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Joy the Tooth from that preview pod last week, calling out Jack Gibbons out here. This dude had a great game, so I just want to, Give him a quick shout out there. Any other discussion points on the Titans here before we move on to our next game? Now let's talk about the uh, the next game. Awesome. <laughs> Get out of London. We're done with yes, London sir. for the season. <laughs> All right. Commanders 24, Falcons 16, as Arthur Smith basically just cries on live television. I don't blame <laughs> the guy. I probably would too. But I feel like the one of the biggest things I want to talk about here is, is just you know, shout out Jake Colhagen, but but Cameron Curl, oh my goodness. Cameron Curl strikes again. He had his second 20-plus point game in three weeks, and I think one of the reasons why was the injury to Derek Forrest. Now, I've been trying to kind of process what's going on here on this defense. How are they replacing Derek Forrest? What's going on here? Why is Jartavius Martin only getting seven defensive snaps? Now, he had a 91 grade on those seven snaps, but I don't trust it. Also, they benched uh, Emmanuel Mosley, I think is what his name is. I am kind of spacing here. So Forbes. So close. Emmanuel Forbes. Thanks. That's why <laughs> That's why I've got you here. So you can keep me honest. <laughs> um, so we got Cameron Curl, you know, absolutely killing it in the tackle department, absolutely killing it in the efficiency department. But aside from him in the secondary, like we've got Percy Butler, who had like a 49 grade and didn't play all that well, but mostly played deep. I'm I'm just kind of curious as a, as a wholesale approach, how how are we seeing what the heck is going on here in the secondary? Is there is there any specific call out that we're looking for? Is maybe a player that could be interesting going forward, an ascending or descending player? Aside from just the fact that Cameron Curl is benefiting benefiting from all of this because he gets to make the plays. Oh, I don't think so. I think this is a you know a case. It's not quite old school single high box safety situation, but it's one of the situations where that, where that one safety is the one that's soaking up all the production and Percy Butler is the deep safety alongside of him. And I don't really give a rip what the rest of the defensive backs are doing. It's, it's so nice to have this guy just as top 10 overall at the, at the position. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I think there were quite a few of us, including Jake, that was, that was on him as a top five option going into the season. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that he's living up to that. We have, uh, you know, there's, they're not playing as much as, as many as, as many two linebacker sets as they did last year when uh, both Davis and, uh, and Holcomb were healthy, were healthy. So I think he's got a few more tackle opportunities on that front too. So that's uh, it's good to see. It's nice to be able to plug him in each week and, and, and not worry about him. 
Uh, the one I am worried about is Chase Young. I, I thought that he was really turning a corner and to play Atlanta, who's who will give up some sacks from time to time. And also, of course, as often as they run, you would expect some, perhaps some tackle production on the edge as well as an edge setter. And uh, Chase Young played 90% of snaps, 75 snaps for that matter. He had a single tackle and didn't get a sack. And so I, that was a letdown for me. I played him in this one league I've got where you pick a different lineup each week and you can only use a guy once. So I have used Chase Young and I got one tackle out of him and I can't use him again for the rest of the season. So I'm gutted about that. How about you? Uh, I'm a little less concerned about Chase Young simply because he he still had a 28.6% true pass set win rate, and he's still leading the team in true pass set win rate over the course of the whole season. Montez Sweat right there behind him. I I think what's it's just one of those like unlucky situations, but I'm also kind of laughing here at at the the Casey Two Hill stat line of two sacks, even though he somehow had a zero percent pass rush win rate. So I'll have to go watch that game and see how the heck he managed to do that because this could very well just be Desmond Ritter doing Desmond Ritter things. Um, <laughs> but this absolutely was the game to start Chase Young. Like you were saying, right? They were a top four matchup against defensive ends. If you were going to start him any week, it was going to be this week. And, and he definitely let us down. But that's just what happens with fantasy. And I think what the managers that are listening need to know is just like you can't get emotional about this. You have to just trust the underlying predictive metrics and and believe that Chase Young will absolutely bounce back going forward. Any other thoughts here on on this Washington defense, or do we want to move on to the Falcons? I'll see who we got for the Falcons. All right. So I got to show some love to Nate Landman, the landmaster, because he absolutely continues to crush. Now, he's not playing as many snaps as I expected him to, uh, 39 snaps out of a possible 51, but he played really, really well as far as just getting tackles. So I, I really like that. He's averaging 7.3 points per game through the first five weeks, but he got nine here in week six and eight tackles, which is pretty impressive, which just goes to show that you can grab linebackers right up off the waivers, throw them into your starting lineup and trust them as long as you know which guys to get. So Nate Landman, is this, just a splash in the pan. Like, is he a guy we're going to be able to trust rest of the season as long as Troy Anderson is out? Well, I think he's a matchup based guy. He's, he's that proverbial two down player. They, they bring him in and they have him going downhill. When Anderson was out there, they were playing nickel all the time. You know, both linebackers are playing full time. Well, now they're bringing in a third safety from time to time because this landman is. It's a nice player, but he's not a guy that you're going to want to trust in obvious bad situations. So, to me, that makes Landman more of a of a matchup based starter. I, if you if you've got a situation, especially if, if you think Atlanta is going to be a big winner in that week, where you think they can put the other team, you know, in, in, behind the chains, then you, you can't be excited about playing Landman. Uh, I, I think that uh, one one got, one I was able I mentioned that league a second ago where I started um, Chase Young. I also started Bud Dupree, and fortunately that was right, which is you know it's a deep dive there for a player. But I got a sack and a half out of Bud Dupree, four tackles, uh, two quarterback hits, uh, thirty nine snaps, seventy six percent of of total defensive snaps for uh, the Falcons as the um, the Commanders were really not able to possess the football at all in this game. But what I think is interesting about Dupree is he's really emerged as their top pass rusher which i think he's pretty much less for dead by certainly by idb gamers and almost by most of the league prior to this year yeah i i think he should probably continue to be 
This was absolutely <laughs> the matchup to stream him. We talked about this on the weekly preview pod last week. We said uh, Arnold Ebiketti, Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree, Grady Jarrett. I mean, all these guys, they're going to eat. And, well, what do you know? Two sacks. Well, this is by PFF metrics, so they might not have been reflected on your platform. But, you know, two sacks for Ebiketti, sack for Calais Campbell, two sacks for Bud Dupree, sack for Grady Jarrett. Like, they were getting pressures out the wazoo, six sacks in total. This was the game to start him. If you are somehow able to sell Bud Dupree off of this performance, I, I mean, I don't know what league you're able to pull that off in, but if you're able to do it, I mean, this is the this is the week to do it because I, I don't necessarily expect this to continue. This was the most advantageous matchup for defensive ends in all of football. So, yeah, I I'm glad that he did what he did because he should have done that. I think that was pretty much expectation. I think I want to jump here, right? It just into our next game. Talk about the Colts versus the Jags. Uh, I believe this is our first rematch of the season, and the Colts got pretty much routed by the Jags, twenty to thirty-seven. Anthony Richardson is out, looking like he might miss the rest of the season. I'm sorry, Josh. Uh, Trevor Lawrence got a little bit of a knee sprain too. Whoa, this is a defensive podcast, right? All right, let me go ahead and talk about the Colts' <laughs> defense here. Um, I think what's pretty interesting is. I love this. I have to read this note straight from the doc. He's got the biblical name and his play has been so much of a revelation. It has IDP players thanking the Lord. <laughs> Samson Ebucam. He got 17.45 points here in week six. He's averaging 12 through the first five weeks. He keeps getting away with this. He keeps being a productive player. And I'm not sure that I should be surprised at this point because I, I mean, he did pretty well in San Francisco and now on a new team where he's getting some decent opportunities, he's continuing to play well. I mean, looking at his true pass at win, true pass at win rate through the course of the season, he's got 15.2%. That's a little above average and he's getting a lot of pass rush snaps to couple it. So do we think that Samson matches his name? Is he just overpowering the competition or is he just kind of getting lucky? I think it's a, I think it's mostly luck, but I do think that he's in a situationally a really good spot. Uh, he's when I, when I was on a preseason pod, I, I think it was with um, uh, uh, Kyle and Daryl on the IDP Nation pod about six months ago. We were struck by just the number of journeyman pass rushers who got paid twenty plus million dollars for multi year contracts, and this was one of the guys that we talked about a little bit. And in, in hindsight, I mean, he's he's landed in probably the best spot of all of them. I think we were, we talked about Okoronkwo because at the time that was before Zedaria Smith showed up in Cleveland, but Sam Snebby come, comes in and he's, he's, you know, played well enough to be an NFL starter for several years. He played opposite Nick Bosa and had, you know, occasionally popped up where what's interesting here is he's playing opposite Quiddy pay and Quiddy pay is a, strong edge setter. So Abby Cam doesn't have to worry about that. What he does have to worry about in Gus Bradley's defense is getting upfield and really all he has to worry about. And so that makes, he's, he kind of fits the mold of a situational pass rusher, but on the Colts, that's that role gets you close to 60% of the snaps. And so I th he has been able to capitalize on, on plus matchups throughout the season. And Trevor Lawrence isn't a Plus, it's more of a neutral matchup. I guess he is a guy that'll eat the ball because he holds it too long sometimes. So, yeah, I think it's probably luck. He's not a guy that I would want to rely on going forward. But I think if you're in a spot where you have picked him up on waivers and you you need to platoon him in that spot for you know different similar caliber players, I could see that working. Um, 
again, you'd be better off to trade for an asset, you know, a real, a real true pass rusher is getting, you know, true quality, um, complete player at defensive end who's playing 75 to 80% of the snaps if you can. But if you can't, this guy's a stopgap solution through bye weeks and injuries. I guess the big story really out of Indy, though, is, is, is Shaq Leonard. I, I mean, gosh almighty. I mean, this guy's, you know, there was some hope, I think, that he would rebound and regain form, but he continues to play second fiddle to Zaire Franklin, and he's just really not even putting up anywhere near the production, the efficiency that Franklin is. What what do you make of that? Yeah, I was a little concerned about what his usage would look like returning from injury. And I mean, he had like a decent game this week. He he put up 10.75 points here. He's been averaging six through the first five weeks. But man, I'm just kind of bummed about EJ Speed. EJ Speed graded better than Shaquille Leonard, uh, missed significantly fewer tackles, but EJ Speed only played 27 defensive snaps. Shaquille Leonard played 52 of a possible 64. And I know Zaire Franklin's the guy out here that's usually the one racking up tackles, and Leonard just probably got a little lucky this week. Um, but I just don't want to trust him going forward. I don't like relying on a guy that could see anywhere between like 30 and 80% of snaps on a weekly basis. And before Leonard got injured, speed was kind of gaining on him and stealing some of those snaps away. So if by next week we see Shaquille Leonard with an even greater snap share, like he's up in the nineties. Okay. I'll recant my statement, but Mm -hmm. if, or until (laughs) that happens, I'm just a little worried. I think I would have to rely on him as a matchup play, but I think the Colts defense is, perfectly you know they're perfectly content with just rotating the number two guy there and just letting Zaire Franklin be their main tackle machine also quick shout out to Rodney Thomas don't roster him you can't start him anymore (laughs) I don't even know if you ever were but don't do it anymore there are too many other guys in front of him making plays such as Julian Blackman or more specifically in this game Kenny Moore their slot cornerback all right was interesting I was interested to see more. He played 12 snaps on the defensive line this game, according to profile. Uh, I think that's what I read. Um, and he got so three tackles for losses for results. So it's interesting to see him being used a little bit more as the as as the kind of a hybrid safety type, like he was a couple of years ago when um, when Matt Eberflus was the DC last year. He just was kind of a pure quarterback and didn't get those stats. So I'm interested to see if this continues. If this is something they have in mind going forward. With as weak as their cornerbacks are, you got to wonder what their long-term plan is. Absolutely. It's it's just a perfect example of why you don't spend up on corners because you can get guys like that for so much less. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Jags here. And, man, Josh Allen, he he's I know he's been kind of a volatile up-and-down player throughout his career, but I'm seeing a lot more ups than I'm seeing downs this season, which is... Pretty exciting to see, especially considering that Trayvon Walker is starting to get a hang of things opposite him. This defensive line could definitely use some guys on the interior to really, really help those edges out. But I mean, we see four pressures from Josh Allen. We see five pressures from Trayvon Walker. According to PFF, they each had a sack. I don't know how that was reflected on actual fantasy platforms. And if I look here at their their season-long pass rush win rates, I mean, we're looking at Josh Allen with a 22%. Trayvon Walker is all the way up to 16%. That's above average now. I I love to see that development. That's exactly what 
uh, Trayvon Walker dynasty managers are looking for. Is, is this edge rushing duo, are they starting to become a bit of a threat here in the league? And and can we finally see some more consistency from these guys too, maybe? I'm a big Josh Allen believer. I, I was a fan preseason. I had him as a top 10 edge. Uh, Trevon Walker, I, I agree. I think you're exactly right. He's a player that's developing. I do find it fascinating that, um, it, you know, that, that we, we had this kind of sh- shocked moment on the, the live IDP show on the, the IDP show draft coverage last year, where it's like, you know, really? You all drafted Trevon Walker over Hutchinson. It's like, how much more upside is there again? And boy, is Hutchinson tearing it up. But um, it, what's interesting is that I do think it helps the entire defense if Trevon Walker can emerge. Like you say, there is no there is no interior presence as a pass rusher on this defense, but it's not a defense that really strongly relies on that. They are looking at their their interior guys as space eaters. So uh, and it's in there. These guys are you know playing wider and trying to attack from space. So uh, I'm I'm certainly. I'm bullish on 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 Josh Allen and and Trevon Walker. Yeah, I saw I saw somebody sell him cheaply a couple weeks ago, and I was slightly surprised by that because he was a guy that knows knows ball. But um, I I would I would be could continue to hold on Walker. And if someone wants to give him up for a low price, I would take him. I guess that you know the, the it's I've just continued to be amazed by um, Foya Luakon. That guy just. I mean, is he going to lead the league in tackles again? <laughs> it's just the ceiling is so high. It just it's hard to put a finger on why. Yeah, it's one of these days there will be some research, I'm sure, that just kind of breaks down all the nitty gritty details about like defensive scheme versus offensive scheme and correlation between where a linebacker plays and their tackle efficiency. I know basically the closest we have to it so far is, is John Macri, but I mean, you know, until that happens, I think we're just going to have to just trust that, you know, this dude just continues to ball out. And it's not even like, you know, Mickey mouse tackles. Like these are legit, like 91 defensive grade. Like he is earning these tackles they're not just happening to him. And I, I love Aaron's little note here with Devin Lloyd. His thumb surgery must have gone so well that he was able to, you know, have the infinity gauntlet to just snap Chad Muma right back to special teams because that's exactly where he belongs. Sorry to our Chad Muma believers, but he has and always will be the backup to Devin Lloyd or the backup to Foyasado Luakun. So sorry he had his two or three weeks or however long that was, but but now Devin Lloyd is back. He's scoring his points again. And he actually had a pretty good week, too. You love to see that 76 defensive grade. Obviously, still some room for improvement. Still two missed tackles. But any thoughts here on, on the linebacker situation, how the safeties are playing, or, or are we ready to move on? Well, I think the safeties are slightly interesting. I was really surprised by how low people were on Rayshon Jenkins coming midseason. So often in IDP, people take these defensive backs and they just assume that player X is going to do exactly what he did last year, whether that be Jalen Petre or Jaquan Brisker. And in Rayshon Jenkins' case, he was third overall in, in football guys scoring. And people were hesitant to take him as even a top 24 safety in drafts in a lot of places. I was just really struck by that. And he, now I would have to admit that he's not been quite the stat monster that he was last year, but the situation is solid. 
He's the preferred box safety, these two, between him and Cisco. And he's playing in a defense, which is uh, which is aggressive. He's got opportunities to make plays. And sure enough, he had an interception this this week, and he out-tackled Cisco 8-5, to five, as I recall. Uh, so I, I, I would be, if, if that's a guy that's by some chance sitting on a waiver wire in shallower leagues, there's eight tackles, interception, pass defense, and 70, and 78 snaps. Uh, I, that's a guy that should be, absolutely should be on rosters. Uh, so that for shallower league options, that's that's a, that's a, a free square. I like it. I'm ready to go ahead and move on to this next game here. Talk about the 49ers losing to the Browns 17 19. <clears throat> um, I think the first thing I want to look at here is is uh, is Oren Burks because yes, he was the quote unquote replacement for Dre Greenlaw, but it wasn't insanely good. He he put up eight points here in week six. Played 100% of defensive snaps. So, in theory, he's the the handcuff linebacker to have here. Put up eight tackles, so it depends on the kind of league that you're in. But this guy put up a 41 defensive grade. He's not anywhere near Dre Greenlaw when it comes to actual talent on defense. So, I guess this is really just more of like a, a matchup play. But even still, like against the Browns offense led by P.J. Walker, like... I feel like if there was a team that you were going to have a good week against, this would be it. So <laughs> as far as handcuff linebackers go, I think there are some leagues that are deep enough that like you're going to roster a guy that you know isn't going to play defensive snaps unless a starter gets hurt. Like, uh, I mean, EJ Speed is a great example, or at least used to be. Aziz Alshair back when he was on the 49ers was this exact same player. I think there are some guys that are worth keeping just in case. I'm not sure Oren Burke is now in that category. This is such a random take, but like, how do we feel about this before we kind of get into the more interesting stuff? Yeah, I'm I'm with you that Burks is just he's just a warm body out there. Like you mentioned, Al Shire. I thought Al Shire flashed when he was on the field and really for Greenlaw. I don't. I don't. I mean, Burks is you know, he's jag. He just was there because they needed a guy. I mean, you know, it could have been Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, who you know is still on the roster and who was a couple of years ago. So. Yeah, this this is a guy that can be ignored entirely. I think that they missed Greenlaw for real football this past week. This defense is being as much too high as they play is so reliant on line linebackers who can read and react quickly and cover a large amount of the, a large amount of ground. That's what makes Fred Warner such a standout. And at Burks out there is liability. I guess the another storyline here is uh, you know, our man our, uh, for the priest, our man Aaron, who prepared the prep document, asks about Talanoa Hufanga's long-term value. Is it in folks that were drafting him as a safety one, and he has, is averaging nine point seven, nine point one seven points per game in weeks one through five, and and just about exactly matched that this week. He did have seven tackles. Tackle volume was a little higher than it's been. Obviously, he's playing 100% of the snaps, but uh, this is a guy that I cautioned against preseason. I, so I, you know, I felt like the, he had one big blow-up game to put him on the radar against Chicago in a monsoon where Chicago ran the ball almost exclusively week one last year. Hadn't had double-digit sa- uh, tackle pulls again in his career. Uh, he's a player that I wrote about in my, in my column, reading the defense at footballguys.com last week. And he's a guy that, yeah, if people think that he's a safety one for Dynasty, I think he is just an absolutely screaming sell. Let's say you... I agree with you. This 49ers defensive scheme runs two high safeties a lot. This is a perfect example of name recognition or image recognition with Talanoa Hufanga just kind of looking like Troy Polamalu reincarnate. 
I don't think he's a bad football player by any means. I mean, sure, he put up a 57 grade this week, but at the end of the day, safeties are not a position that's directly correlated to just skill. There are so many other factors at play, and skill is less of a of a weight when it comes to player value at that position than another position such as defensive end, which we'll talk about here in a sec. But it's just the price tag never really matched the production. And I think that's what you get for investing heavily in a player just based on their name. Um, a player whose name I believe you should be investing in just because of how good they are. Nick Bosa, he he had a, you know, he's he's been working back, I guess we can say. You know, he's getting back into the game shape and this was a great game for him to have a sack in because they really needed it. I mean, it wasn't quite enough because they didn't get the win. Um, and there was only two sacks in total. I mean, the other one came from Randy Gregory. So that's that's pretty funny that that's, uh, that's happening here. Um, but I think really my takeaway here is just how deep the defensive line rotation is. I mean, they had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different guys that played more than 20 snaps on the defensive line. And all of them played more or less okay like their pressure numbers aren't going to look huge but that's just because none of them played that many defensive snaps if i look here at their win rates i mean 28 percent, 26 percent, 24 percent, 22 percent, 20 percent, 18 16 15 15 i mean the only guy that doesn't have an elite win rate is randy gregory but if i look at his just week six i mean randy gregory was up at a uh, 25 percent in his uh, true pass set which is obviously a, a figment of just the defensive line that he's in, but really I think there's a lot of risk here, a lot more risk than people probably think. Cause it's Nick Bosa who played 68 defense snaps. And then Eric Armstead who played 54 defensive snaps, Javon Hargrave played 49% of snaps, Cleland Farrell. Like there's just so many bodies here, which is good for the football team, but not super great for fantasy. If you're somebody that's not named Nick Bosa. I think part of the thing here is that Nick Bosa, last time I checked, was leading the league in double team rate. And so the addition of Randy Gregory is about trying to find someone else to gen to generate, to finish, to generate more pass rush and finish opposite him. And so I think the uh, another big issue here is that Drake Jackson has lost a substantial amount of snaps. He was a guy that that seemed to really be struggling in the preseason, but then had a huge week one with three sacks. I don't think he's had a sack since. And I, and I, I'm not really sure what's happening there. I, you know, I, I've actually felt like that he played pretty well in that game. I don't feel like his sacks were just all luck or junk. And so, but he's a guy, obviously they've lost some confidence in because they traded for Randy Gregory and Randy Gregory is at least a known quantity. But last week, Austin Bryant, who is a cast off of the lions aid into Drake Jackson's staff. So, I'm not sure what to make of all that because, as you mentioned, when that whole line is out there together, they're one of the leading units in the league. I mean, Drake Jackson is part of a foursome that is the third highest pressure rate in the entire league of, among all foursomes. So it's it's interesting to see both him lose snaps and, and what this means to the addition of Gregory moving forward because they have not been piling up sacks. They, they're on the team's. I think sacks, last time I checked, sacks were up across the league, and it's not because the 49ers have increased their output of sacks now granted teams are playing scared against them and not you're trying to get the ball out quick but um I, i'm curious to see if you think anybody really emerges as a sack monster do they does the entire team pick up their conversion rate of sacks and and do they really start to get back to what we wanted when we drafted some of these guys yeah that will be that will be what we'll have to to see as the season rolls on some of this could be matchup based some of this could be 
I don't know, just outside factors. I mean, it was a pretty rainy game, so who knows how much of a play that has to, you know, how much that plays into this. Um, moving on to the Browns here, I guess I'm just kind of curious how a team that seems so statistically boring and grading-wise kind of mid can be such a good defense and such a consistently good defense. This This surely has something to do with the defensive scheme that they're playing. But like, I'm looking here at Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa who got almost a 90 grade, which is just so incredible. I mean, he got an interception or I guess just a touchdown, but did he get a fumble touchdown? I, I should be looking at this. He got five tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, a pass defended quarterback hit. I'm seeing touchdown here on the PFF sheet. So he must've done something. <laughs> I, I, I'm, this is what happens when I'm not watching the games. I'm just looking at the spreadsheets. But I do know that he had an insanely good game. It might not have shown up in the tackle numbers, so I'm sorry if you're putting a, a prop on his his tackle totals. But, you know, he got two pressures. He got a sack. This guy is being productive, or at least was this week. I mean, he got 28 points this week. He's averaging 11.8 over the last five or over the last three. I'm maybe not as confident in his consistency as some other people might be. I know Aaron would ask us kind of, you know, how is this a breakout season or not? I'm not quite sure about that. Despite the fact that he looks beautiful with his new mustache, I have yet to be convinced <laughs> that he can be consistent with this limited snap share. What say you? Uh, yeah, I, I do think that he's clearly emerged as the LB one here, which is not what the, for the team that is, which is not necessarily what I expected in preseason. Um, but nevertheless, he's like you mentioned, I don't think he's going to be a full-time player. He's just, he's just not going to be out there in, in obvious running situations. That said, I, I was an apologist all last year and I kept arguing that it's because the defensive tackles were so bad and they have upgraded their defensive tackles. And so that has made a difference. This entire defense has run better. You mentioned the defense as a whole. Well, you know, I think it's worth noting that in my opinion, the positions that matter most at, at, at defense are the, the upfront and the cornerbacks. And it's not so much about having a star cornerback. It's about having good play at, at at least three spots. So you can put three corners out there at any time. And when you can do that, you can do all kinds of things like, you know, with your pass rush. And the thing is, is you already have Miles Garrett, who's arguably the best defense fan in the league. You get Zadarius Smith in there and Zadarius Smith may not be piling up stats. I mean, he's got, you know, one quarterback hit and it didn't stat on the week outside of that. Uh, but he's a guy that gets, that, that is a, a legitimate compliment to Miles Garrett. He's cause he's a good player. And then you have Shelby Harris in the middle. I just I still don't understand why he was on the street for so long because I think he's at about above average defensive tackle for some time. But if you compare that the just those two groups, the corn the cornerback group and the defensive line group of the Browns, is there a team that you would put up against them and say that that team is clearly better than that with those two spots? Clearly better than them. Man, that's tough. I, I would just like I need to look at the list of all the teams. Like, um, Man, probably not. I mean, I, I, I'm going to take a tangent here. I'm going to look back. I'm just mm -hmm. looking through all these teams. I, I don't think it's anybody in the AFC. E, none of the AFC teams I'm looking at so far. NFC teams, I mean, not really. I'm, I'm looking at the Seahawks here just because they have two, three really solid corners, but their defensive line isn't probably as strong, especially not like a Miles Garrett type player but aside from them like 
The Eagles' corners have been injured, so it's really hard to rely on them, despite the fact that their defensive line is really strong. Same with the Cowboys. Um, yeah, shoot. That's a, such a good combination, too. I, I'm sure you touched on this, but like the combination between pass rush and pass coverage, and I mm-hmm. think that's why Jeremiah Wusukormo got such a strong grade, because of his 90 coverage grade. Because he's mm-hmm. a linebacker that's also able to cover because of his athleticism, which is so important. I'm also kind of just laughing over here, looking at Grant Delpit, played more snaps in the box than Jeremiah Wusukoromoa did. And just looking <laughs> at their cornerback alignments, who knows if this is just a one-week trend, but Denzel Ward was used almost strictly as a wide corner, whereas Greg Newsom now was the was the corner who played more in the slot. So he could be taking over as the nickel, I know. Denzel Ward had some time where he was more in the slot, but he only played seven of his 57 snaps here in the slot, whereas he played 49 of those out wide. So as far as people in cornerback required leagues, it could be an interesting situation to keep your eye on. And Grant Delpit versus Rodney or yeah, Rodney McLeod, like Delpit got fewer tackles, but had better usage. Sometimes you just have those weeks. I don't really think there's anything in regards to the secondary that's Really worth noting aside from that. What do you think? Yeah, you know, George Kittle had one catch. Hard tackle a guy if he's not catching the ball, right? I mean, that's a factor in the secondary. Uh, well, you, I think you mentioned a really important point is the health, right? These guys have been healthy. You know, the line, the Browns, especially at the linebacker position, were so bad they wrecked injury last year. And this year, they Thornhill's missed a couple of games, and he is an important addition as the as the deep safety in this in a predominantly single high defense. But by and large, this is defense that's been healthy, and I think that's been a, an important reason as, as to why they've been effective. You you know, so I it, it's interesting to note. So uh, Zadarius Smith, I would well he's not been performing at all. If that's a guy that, that's free in your league, I say you go pick him up. And and Delpit too is like I I don't you know I think this is some the defense being so dominant is has hurt a little bit, but boy, I just don't think they can keep this up. I saw, I think Mike Wooler tweeted out today that this defense has allowed fewer yards than anybody in the last like 30 or 40 years, which includes the 85 bears and the Oh, 2000 Ravens and the 22 bucks, 2002 bucks. So, but I, I boy, I'd be surprised if they could keep it up just at that clip. I just, I think they're a good defense, but I don't think they're um, historically top five. Good. Yeah, especially because it's just a smaller sample size. We'll see if they can keep up the consistency with more games. I'm going to go ahead and move on here to the Saints versus the Texans. Texans beating them 20 to 13. Uh, thank you, Saints defense, for helping this episode chug along a little faster because we're an hour in and we have plenty <laughs> of games left to go. I'm looking through this game log. I'm looking through the usage. I really don't see anything worthy. Like that's not an offense to the Saints. It's more just like, okay, yep, their safety's got the usage I expected. Their linebackers got the usage I expected. Their cornerbacks got the usage I expected. Their defensive line got the usage I expected. Really what we're looking at here is is two players who maybe, I don't want to say played ahead of their skis, but more so just scored more points than typical. Carl Granderson and Demario Davis. Granderson scored about five more points than average. Demario Davis scored about 20 points more than average. It's all right, mm, 17, whatever. I'll round it up. Um, I don't necessarily think that this is a figment of any sort of special change in situation. It's more just sometimes you're going to get guys that have spike weeks, especially when they have his usage as heavy as they do. What do you think about that? Is there anything else about this game worth noting, or do we just want to move on to the Texans? 
Well, I think Davis is, is is one that benefits from the situation here. There was the game flow and with the way what Texans want to do with their 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 offense, right? They're they're not pushing the ball downfield. They want to run the ball. This was a plus matchup for him coming in. He was able to capitalize with uh, seven tackles, a couple tackles for loss, and sacks. So um, that's in a, you know if you're a guy that's drafting Demario Davis, you're relying on the fact that he's more of a big play guy than a than a volume tackle guy, and you, you got what you paid for this week. And then Granderson, I just. He's just a nice story, right? He's, he was a guy that some folks tabbed as a sleeper coming in, and he's performed, which is it's, it's cool to see. It's cool to root for the underdog. I like it. Let's go ahead and move on to the Texans here, and Aaron has done it again because Blake Cashman can now be rebranded to Blake Cash Money after destroying the over on his tackle prop and mauling your opponents with his marquee performance. Need I say more? The reason why Blake Cashman had a great game is because Denzel Perryman was out. We've seen this before already with Blake Cashman and Henry To'o To'o playing those top two roles with Christian Harris even still playing third fiddle. But this third fiddle was a significantly tinier fiddle than the one he played last time when it was the three of them because he only played nine defensive snaps. You can punt that guy into the shadow realm. He is donezo because once Denzel Perryman comes back, Blake Cashman's usage is going to go back down and it'll return to Perryman and To'o To'o. But in the meantime, look at these two guys just balling out. You love to see it. Any thoughts here? I mean, I know To'o To'o got a pretty bad grade, but Cashman is one of the highest uh, highest graded defenders. I think, I forget what specifically I read. I just remember reading somewhere that he had like a shockingly high defensive grade. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a fluid situation with these linebackers. It's you've got, like you mentioned, the the four names here. I I would be, I don't know, if, I don't know, it's not one hundred percent sure anybody's going to play full time, right? They brought in Perriman. I've got to imagine that he gets the job back, but I don't know that. I mean, Cashman's played pretty well. I think he holds on to a role. How much? Hard to say. This is a game where they played eighty two snaps on defense because they. Um, the Saints were able to possess the ball against them, and so that in itself is you know fifteen tackles. Yes for Cashman, but 82 snaps is not going to happen every week there. Uh, their defense is better than that this year. I, I think it's been bad two weeks in a row. I think they're going to continue to, to, you know, but it's, I say bad, right? They limited the saints to 13 points. And so the question is, is, you know, are they able to, they, they can't play that many snaps every week and win. I think they've got to be able to get off the field. So it's an interesting challenge. I, so Harris, I think is the big story in the sense is that it looked like he was the LB one in the preseason. He was LB1 through all the preseason games, and he comes in, and it's kind of where you have to look back at talent again. This is a guy that was terrible last year, and he's not been good this year either. How about these two edges, Anderson and Greenard? What are you betting on the rest of the season? I I really like Will Anderson. Obviously, that's the coldest take of this entire episode. <laughs> I know that, that Grenard has averaged more points so far through the first five or six weeks, but – Anderson has the better underlying metrics. He's grading better. He has a higher pass rush, higher pass rush win rate. I mean, in all situations, it's almost doubled. And in true pass sets, he's still got him beat by like 7%. I mean, Anderson's at 24%. Grenard's at 17%. So they're both good players. Like, <clears throat> I'm not complaining with having Jonathan Grenard on my team. But if there was going to be a buy window for Will Anderson, it's going to be now, I think, because... He's not going to be able to be as limited a producer going.
going forward for much longer, especially because I know he's playing well. He's grading well. He's getting pressures. He's winning his reps. It's just not quite yet showing up on the stat sheet. And some managers just don't pay attention to some of those underlying metrics. So if you're a player that's trying to invest in a guy that can be productive this season, but also be a really, really high-end player in Dynasty, this might be the time to do it. Catch a manager while they're sleeping, while they're just looking at game logs, and and try and make a move on him right now. Any other thoughts here on Texans defense? Quick shout out to Josh Raymer. We talked about this on a pod. I think Josh, I think Greenard was like edge seven in ADP, and he's outperformed that. He's been a piece that you might plug in there in bye weeks and injuries. Absolutely. Totally agree. Now we've got the Panthers versus the Dolphins. Panthers came in hot with a 14 to zero start and the Dolphins then decided that they were going to start playing football and doubled the score 42 to 21. Let's talk about the Panthers here first. It's interesting. Brian Burns here, what we've got going on. I'm actually, I want to, I want to wait on this. I think what I'm most interested here is, is looking out at the linebacker situation. It's so weird. The Dion Jones, uh, Kamu Grusher Hill. There's another linebacker whose name I'm totally spacing on that they also had worked Shaq in a Thompson. couple weeks ago. Shaq oh, Thompson, Ch- yes. Chandler um, Wooten. Yes, thank you. Wow. <laughs> I'm very impressed that you just have that off the dome. So shout out there. Chandler Wooten didn't play this game. So Deion Jones was back. He got a couple tackles. Kamu Grusher Hill did his typical terrible PFF grade, but get a couple tackles performance. Love that Hawaiian going forward. I, I don't even know if we can trust any of these guys. Once again, like if, if Frankie Louvu misses any time, we might just see what we saw last time, which is just both of these players be pretty bad. But if I had to gamble on somebody, it would be Kamu Grusher Hill. And I honestly, I would probably prefer Chandler Wooten over Deion Jones. Once again, even though Deion Jones was the guy that played in this game, because it seems like Chandler Wooten only comes in when he knows he's going to start, but if they don't like activate him or something, I don't really know how specifically they have it organized. So maybe you have more information, but Chandler Wooten played above Deion Jones in the opportunity when we thought Deion Jones was going to get a lot of snaps. Yeah, this is, it's just, just a bad team that's trying to figure out what to do. It was just announced today that um, Frank Reich is going to give up play calling responsibility. I worry that's coming down from, from the, uh, from ownership. And, you know, Wooten is a guy that's, you know, popped on and off practice squads and the like. And we, we, at one point we saw Kamu Bruce Hill come in for Shaq Thompson. Like, Oh, okay. Well he's back. Right. He was a guy that was relevant at one point, one point, once upon a time in Houston. I just wouldn't touch any of these guys. I'd, I'd see if Luvu was healthy. And if he wasn't, you know, I think you're there, you're giving up some upside if you do that, because this is a team that's struggling to get off the field. You probably can get some free squares at time from time to time, but you know, this is you got Jeremy Chin is in there mixing in there too with this, you know, nickel back roll that he's competing for tackles and he only played like thirty five percent of snaps I think this past week just something brutally bad and they started like two scrubs at safety it's just this is a defense where this the wheels are falling off man I just that's you know they I mean granted Miami's torching everybody I guess you got to give the Panthers credit for limiting them to what about half of what the Broncos gave up. But other than that, I just, it, it's cringeworthy in Carolina right now. Yeah. The Panthers are just showing that they would literally rather put Evan Ronda off the street into free safety than play Jeremy <laughs> Chin because 
They had their two starting safeties out for this game. Sam Franklin Jr. has been in, filling in. They got this guy named Matthias Farley hopping in there, getting himself a 29 PFF grade, and he still played 63 of 67 defensive snaps, whereas Jeremy Chin played only 26 defensive snaps, and he got himself a 30 defensive grade. So I don't know what's going on with Jeremy Chin. What happened to him? Did he get like a doppelganger? He got kidnapped. Somebody else is coming in here pretending to live his life and just doesn't know how to play football. Like, what's going on? Because Jeremy Chin, like, I know there's trade rumors floating around. Maybe, like, the Eagles might potentially be adding him. But, I mean, if he continues to perform like this, is he even going to end up on a new roster? Because he could just be completely irrelevant for the rest of the season if he's continuing to stay on this team. What do you think there? Yeah, there's there's no reason to pick him up. I just think, you know, Matthias Farley was last relevant, in my opinion, in 2018 when he – uh, came in, he was a backup, a strong safety. The starter got hurt, and that was a terrible team where he piled up tackles in the back end. And now he's, he's like, what, 31 or 32 years old, and he's landed a starting spot for the first time And I don't know how long. I think he's with the Jets. He might have had one or two spot starts there. If that's who you're playing ahead of Jeremy Chin, now it's fair to say that Chin's position was changed. But still, it's like, you know, how how do you justify this t- parade of, of, of practice squad linebackers and safeties and you – I mean, you have a player who has played effectively in times at linebacker and safety, and you can't find a larger role for him. It just, it's mind boggling. Crazy. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a team. That's a little bit more exciting with the Miami dolphins. And I think what I need to talk about first and foremost is Jalen Phillips. I'm looking over this game log right now. We got Jalen Phillips playing 30 of 69 defensive snaps, obviously playing on the defensive line. Andrew Van Ginkle also playing on the defensive line. And that impacted David Long, not at all, because David Long played 50 defensive snaps. So while this is Jalen Phillips' first game back from injury, and I'm sure we can probably expect more usage going forward, it's also interesting to see, okay, they were completely blowing out the Panthers. So we got a lot of backups playing some defensive snaps in this one. So we can't overthink it too much, but it looks like David Long and Jalen Phillips are can coexist in this world together. And that makes me really happy. <laughs> well, plus Jerome Baker got hurt too. So if, if that's a long-term thing, then David Long, who looked like total panic button alert in week one after playing like 16 snaps and losing the job, the in nickel sub packages to Andrew Van Ginkle, who played off-ball linebacker, Long looks like he might be okay because Van Ginkle seems to be a regular member of the pass rush rotation going forward. So... Uh, one of the points that was debated at footballguys.com a couple weeks ago was the long-term outlook for Van Ginkle. I equated him to a, a utility infielder, a guy that I wouldn't be comfortable starting every week. How do you feel about him? He's intriguing. I think the flexibility that he provides is, I mean, it, it's upside. The fact that he's staying on the field and getting use means something because this <laughs> defense has enough guys that if you aren't going to earn your spot onto the field, you're not going to get a spot on the field. So the fact that he's getting the volume that he is with the amount of healthy players that they have on defense, yes, I know you know, we got a little bit of an injury here to Jerome Baker, but that aside, a lot of guys on this team are getting pressures. A lot of these guys on this team are getting sacks. I know Bradley Chubb had almost a 90 defense grade, which is impressive. Now it was against the Panthers, so I'm not going to put too much weight in that, but lots and lots of players are getting use. And if you aren't good enough to stay on the field, you're not going to stay on the field. And so that absolutely means something. 
Are there any other guys here on this team we want to talk about? I'm pretty much ready to just move on to the next game. I just would just say quickly about Chubb. This was his first full sack of the season. And this is you know, the other thing to mention, too, is that um, they Xavier Howard is hurt. This is another team where we talked about corners. And you know, if this team had all its healthy corners with Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey, this might be a formidable unit. But I worry about the pass rush of sustainability with so little of the back end right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is a game of attrition. Perhaps maybe they just don't care because they figure what the heck will just outscore you anyways. So we'll see how that strategy plays off for the rest of the season. But let's go ahead and move on here to the Seahawks versus the Bengals. Bengals beat them 17-13. The first thing I'm looking at here when I hop into this game is Julian Love playing 24 of 54 defensive snaps and none other than Jamal Adams playing 46 of 54 defensive snaps. And not only did he play 46 of 54 defensive snaps, he got a 74 defense grade, which is respectable. Um, I'm seeing what his his uh, tackle and stuff looks like, if we have this written down, because on PFF here, it says he, he had a pressure, he had a quarterback hit, he had four tackles. He played all over the field, four snaps in the defensive line, 18 snaps in the box, 12 snaps of free safety, 12 snaps in the slot. I think I think Jamal Adams is back, and I think our if you're a Julian Love manager, that is, I think your worst fears have become true. He just got pushed down the depth chart. This is Jamal Adams' job now. How do we feel about it? Yeah, I think that was the fear all all along, right? You're paying this guy so much money to be there, and in, in, in the person of um, Jamal Adams, you've I I still think that anything they get out of him is a bonus, right? I mean, it's just because it's just how long does he stay healthy in part, but. The fact that he's back 85% of the snaps and, 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 and fairly productive, I mean, is I think all you could hope for and more if you're a Seahawks fan. But like you said, if you're, if you're a Julian Love manager, it's like you couldn't have imagined it would be this bad. I mean, you had to know there was risk, but to drop down to you know, 44% against a team that plays a whole bunch of 11 personnel, you know, knowing that they they trotted out Trey Brown at, at, at corner for you know thirty nine percent of the snaps, uh, is it's got to be depressing. One thing I would note though, that I thought particularly was interesting, is as I wondered if this would be the case coming out of the bye, is what would Devin Witherspoon's role be? And the answer is that he's primarily a slot defender, which I'm intrigued by. I think that he offers some real upside for cornerback required leagues in that spot. He didn't pile up stats this week the way he did against uh, the Giants a couple weeks ago where he had like two sacks and an interception. But still, I think that this is you know, a productive spot for him. He had four tackles and three passes defensed. So for folks that are relying on that scoring category, he was certainly productive enough. Yes, I I really like how they're using him. I think it makes a lot of sense. I know he's an absolute dog, and I knew he was going to be good wherever he was used. But I think that this is... I don't know. I'm a big fan of the slot cornerback usage. Like you said earlier, we were kind of thinking about what teams have three good corners and a strong defensive line. And while I don't think the Seahawks are quite at the same level that the Browns are at, having a strong secondary is so important. And Devon Witherspoon playing as well as he is, is absolutely contributing to that. One of the last things I want to mention is just kind of a closing thought. I feel bad for the weekly preview episode last week. I knew this was going to be a bad linebacker matchup, but I was like, it's it's the Seahawks. I'm not going to tell people to bench. I'm not going to tell them to bench, you know, Bobby Wagner and, and Jordan Brooks. 
they both had down weeks. So instead of seeing this as an apology, just see this as an explanation. Don't <laughs> see this as a start of some new trend. It's just what happens when you play against the Bengals offense. And speaking of which, let's go ahead and jump into the Bengals. And I think the first thing I got to mention is the one and only mom's meatloaf, Logan Wilson. He's back. He's been upgraded to grandma's famous meatballs with that performance because he put up 25 points here in week six after averaging 13 and a half points per game over the first five weeks. Now, the best thing about grandma's famous meatballs is they taste amazing. When you get them, they're fresh. You just, mm, they're, they're so tasty. The worst thing about grandma's famous meatballs, they run out pretty quick because everybody <laughs> wants them. And I'm kind of worried about the same thing here for Logan Wilson. I, I'm not seeing this as a consistent trend. I'm seeing this as kind of a one game. Like there were 73 defensive snaps here. He got one pass rush snap. And on that one pass rush snap, he got a pressure and a sack. Like that's not the kind of thing that you're going to see consistently from him. So maybe you needed to spike week to sell him to, to another team. I mean, he got a 55 defense grade. I'm not looking at Logan Wilson as some ascended linebacker. I think mom's meatloaf. I think uh, I think maybe the meatloaf is going to probably be coming out of the oven once again next week. How do you feel about that? I I think that this Bengals defense is interesting. I think I think that Lou Anarumo has come a long way. When he first started, I was like, oh my gosh, he's just trying to run a college defense in the NFL, and it's just it's just you know hurting my eyes. But they've managed to put some talent on the field, and they've and I and he's the, the pretty proven to be a pretty creative defensive mind. And I think that Logan Wilson's ebb and flow has been part just due to game flow and the interchangeability of different pieces in this defense. So you could, I mean, there were some people that looked at the tobacco production that Logan Wilson had at the end of last year and thought, oh, well, that's who he is now. He's just going to continue to get double-digit tackles every week. And that's not the case. See, that was that was always probably too high of an expectation. But I still think, like, who would you rather have, him or Earl Shire? Hmm. That's a great question. I think maybe Al Shair just because he's under contract for longer. But if we're talking mm -hmm. redraft, that's tough. I'd probably just pick whoever averages more points in the specific for scoring format that I'm playing in because I don't have a strong mm -hmm. tiebreaker between the two of them. Okay. Now I think I still prefer Wilson. Not not hugely, but I think you know I was I would have a little bit more confidence in. In, in, especially if I'm a guy that's looking for those big plays. I mean, yeah, you, you make a good point, right? One pass rush, he happens to get home. But I just think this is a defense that's, that's I feel a little bit better about. The Titans I worry about in just a long-term trajectory of this current season and their ability to generate big plays with the way their season's going. Whereas the Bengals, they're three and three. They they might still could get back into it. I like what the defense does. I think they're aggressive. I think they can create some turnovers. And so that's, that would be my preferred choice out of these two guys. Um is there is there anybody on the defensive line that particularly strikes you? I think one that's, that's noted me is 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 Trey Hendrickson. I was surprised how down people were on him. He continues to be same as last year and again this year in the top ten in pass rush win rate according to Next Gen Stats, as reported by ESPN. And he's always been a guy that has lower tackle floor. And I do wonder how much that has to do with the with the with the legendary short arms that he came in the league with that caused him to fall to the third round. And maybe he's not holding up on the edge as well as he might, but uh, he's a guy that's just a productive pass rusher. And I, I, I feel really good about him in the best ball leagues where I have him. <clears throat> as you should. I mean, he's, he's currently at a 26.8% true pass set win rate, which is just incredible. I, 
I guess I can just look at like the top guys in the league. If I look at the top guys in the league here, I mean, he's, he's very much up there. Um, what did I just say? 28%, 26%. That's top 20. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, there are some guys in this list that I probably should be taking out just because they don't have a ton of snaps, but he's absolutely up there. And I think he deserves to be, I think he's that good. I think in general, just this defensive line is really productive. I mean, Obviously, you have Sam Hubbard opposite him. He also got six pressures in a sack. Um, you got B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader. D.J. Reader putting up an 82 defense grade, him getting five pressures in a sack. B.J. Hill getting a 50 grade, but even he put up six pressures. I don't really think that this is entirely a figment of playing the Seahawks. I think this defensive line is pretty legit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I want to look at here real quick is just the uh, the Nick Scott versus Jordan Battle seesaw is now back on team Nick Scott. Now, he didn't get a great grade. He put a 44 grade, whereas uh, Jordan Battle played seven defensive snaps but put up a 71 grade. I don't think this coaching scheme cares. I think they're just going to keep Nick Scott out there unless he loses the job. I honestly thought that he had already lost the job but now he's back. So I don't know. Are there any thoughts that we have there? Or are we ready to just move on to this next game? Yeah, it's just unreliable, right? Jordan battle had 25 snaps in week two and then played not hardly at all until week five gets 22 snaps and goes back to the bench again this week. So it, it just means it's, it's just no point in trying to rely on either of them with given how little productive there, just a quick update on Hendrickson. He has 21 tackles through six weeks last year, last couple of years each he's averaged 33. So he's already more than halfway to his Bengals career average. So for folks that might worry about that, he might be, you might be okay on that front too. Maybe he got some <clears throat> arm enlargement surgery and now <laughs> he's right. just, he's just good now. All right. We got to move on here to the Vikings versus the bears. Vikings 19, Bears 13. I was looking at the top overall scores in big three scoring for IDP in week six. Number one, Jordan Hicks. Number two, Daniil Hunter. Number six, nope, number seven, Josh Metellus. They got uh, number 10, Byron Murphy. They got like four guys in the top 10 of t- top points scored. And the craziest part is this defense how many snaps they played like normally you'd see a stat line like that from a team that played a bunch of defensive snaps but they didn't play a bunch of defensive snaps i'm literally i can't have there we go i was like i can't even find them they only played 66 defensive snaps which isn't average uh, yeah. you know yeah it's pretty average mm-hmm. um so that's already incredible but i'm looking here at jordan hicks and oh my gosh dude just balls out at least that's what some people think you know, according to some scoring settings, you got 10 tackles, you got an intersection, uh, interception, a uh, fumble recovery, a uh, defensive touchdown, pass defended, like huge points, 34 points. Obviously, we talked about that already. He's averaging 11 through the first five weeks. I'm not buying it. Maybe I'm a hater. Maybe I'm just jealous that we're not seeing more Ivan Pace, who only played 12 snaps in this game, but still the second most for linebackers. I'm not buying the Jordan Hicks points how do you feel about jordan hicks well, i mean he, obviously not buying a pick six so you, you, i can't expect him to re, to to re, duplicate that week in and week out but the tackle totals have been there and i have to eat crow on that he's, he's a guy i did not think would be contributing the way he did i mean he was a you know top 25 uh linebacker in a lot of preseason rankings i certainly was not i certainly was not a buyer at that at that but he's 
produced at that level. And, uh, you know, the only real hesitation you have to have is, you know, what happens if the wheels start to fall off in the season, right? I mean, th- there's talks about trading people away and, you know, and if that starts to happen, then you have to wonder, does this, this a team that want to see what they have? I mean, what, one thing that's really striking about the Vikings is their first, they had, they tr- selected defenders in the first, second and third rounds of last year, last year's draft. And none of those guys play. And you not want to see what you have in any of those guys. And, and you know, it's, it's two coaching staffs in a row that, well, with respect to scene and booth that says we, these guys can't play, but Asamoah is a guy that played and played effectively last year down the stretch. And it's a different scheme. And maybe that's the problem, but um, you got to wonder, right? Your man pace, this guy that won a job in the preseason, do they want to see pace and Asamoah on the field together? I don't know. That'd be my only hesitation. Other than that, you know, Hicks, it's, he's a guy that you leave in your lineup every week, in my opinion. <clears throat> I think really what frustrates me is I think there are some people out there who are just like the Vikings should tank. They should just give up on the season. And I just think that they don't understand the fact that NFL coaches have jobs and they would prefer to keep those jobs. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these guys want to get fired, but I, I have a feeling that's not the case. And so I think this team wants to win, or at least they're doing their best to do it. And I think the way that they've gone about doing that is just the triple safety deployment. They've got, Harrison Smith, Josh Metellus, Cameron Bynum, all three players are having productive weeks here and there, and they're all grading pretty well too. Um, but I think this week it was uh, it was Byron Murphy who ended up being the guy that just absolutely balled out. So good for him. I think the, the biggest thing I want to talk about before we move on from this game is Marcus Davenport. We mentioned already he suffered an injury. He's probably going to be out four to six weeks. And somehow DJ Wanham, learned how to get pressures because he got six <laughs> pressures and he got a sack. And I didn't even think he knew what a pass rush win was. So good for that guy. I got to see what his win rate looks like now he's up at, Oh, he's all the way up at 4%. Look at him go. He's <laughs> rocking it on. It helps wow. really play the bears and Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So managers. Yes. Marcus Davenport is out for a while. He might go on IR. Yes. DJ Wanham is going to start seeing some more snaps. No, he's not all of a sudden going to be better and start scoring you a bunch of points for fantasy. Come on. I mean, be be real with yourself. <laughs> if you've been holding on to DJ Wanham, just hoping that he's going to be a guy, what what are you doing? Look at yourself in the mirror. Just take a long, hard look and, and ask yourself why you're doing this to yourself. I think I think we're ready to just move on to the next team. What do you say? Yes, sir, let's do the Bears. we got a couple of linebackers that tend to feast week in and week out. <laughs> Yes, they do. TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds. And somehow the secret agent Sanborn is also having himself a game here or there. 19 (laughs) defensive snaps for Sanborn, 90 defensive grade. And according to PFF, he got like six tackles. No, don't trust him. I'm going to continue to say this. I don't even care if I sound wrong from week to week. Like, I don't even care. Like, if there was ever a time that he had a great week and I didn't get it, I don't have any FOMO because Jack Sanward is not playing enough snaps to ever make it worth it to start him over any bona fide starter who's going to play a lot of snaps, such as TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, who just consistently score points. They might not be grading the best on a week-to-week basis, but I don't even care. <laughs> our man our man Brisker showed up in the box score. He had a th- six total tackles, a forced fumble, and a half a sack. So I, I wrote about him last week, and it was 
remarkable how much he was playing deep and not just in his pre-alignment snaps that show up in PFF, but he would line up closer to the box and then backpedal just play after play after play. I was fortunate to find somebody who posted literally a clip of his entire like video of his entire, every snap that he played last week. So it was interesting to watch that, but it's also, um, I'm afraid that it's not something you can rely on. I don't think he's back with this performance. What do you think? I'm with you. It's, it's volatile. I think we can go on a matchup basis and you can probably put him in, in a strong matchup. But I mean, if you're in a league where you're starting three or more safeties, I mean, you're going to put him in your starting lineup, regardless of matchup, you've paid enough to get him there, but I think really this isn't so much about whether or not you can start him. It's more about what you believe the range of outcomes can be for him. And, you know, the floor might be a little lower than what we expect, but this was a good week and I'm happy about that. Another quick thought here. I just need to mention the defensive line. It's hot trash. It continues to be hot trash, but this was a decent game for them. They got 12 pressures for three sacks. One of those pressures was from Jaquan Brisker, which doesn't even count. Another one of those pressures and sacks was from TJ Edwards, which doesn't even count. So really, this defensive line could only account for one of the sacks. And most of the pressures came from one player, which is Demarcus Walker, who continues to show that Yannick Ngakwe, who played just as many snaps as him and just as many pass rushes, got zero pressures. So Demarcus Walker, if there was one player on this defensive line, if you had a gun to your head and you had to choose one guy to start, it would be him. But let's be honest, you're not starting Demarcus Walker unless he's in the most advantageous of matchups. Anybody else on this team that's interesting? I know Kyler Gordon and uh, and Eddie Jackson are kind of interesting talks. Maybe we can talk about them. I think Kyler Gordon has been hurt. Well, he finally got back this year, this week, and had just four total tackles. So um, he, he's a guy that had some optimism about going into the going into the season. But I think that you know, from my opinion, in order to be really a difference maker for a fantasy roster, you've got to have those pass rush opportunities and the opportunities to get home and land a sack or two to give you that upside, which really makes it worth it. Because I don't think I have to check the snap counts to see here if. If Gordon did in fact play full time this week, but you know, there was at the beginning of the, I think it was the beginning of the year. I don't even think he played full time. I think they had Tyreek Stevenson and Jalen Johnson playing full time. So no, I, he's probably Gordon is probably not a guy eager to play. He played 35 snaps for a total of 61% this, this week. While those two guys, the, the boundary corners were, were your starters. So um, it's just, it's just interesting to juxtapose this team with the Browns who we mentioned a minute ago. They, they, they spend, like a hundred million dollars on TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, and then went out and tried to go cheap. Uh, you know, Demarcus Walker was one of those journeyman pass rushers that somebody paid 20 plus million dollars to, but uh, they get Yanni Kangak way late on free agency. And just, it's interesting to see like Zadarius Smith, Yanni Kangak way, right? It's like who chose which player and how is that going for those particularly defensive units is fascinating to see. Totally agree. I would love to see like the tier list breakdown of like, the order of importance when it comes to investing money into defensive positions. Cause I have to imagine it's like edge rusher and corner at the very top. And then like linebacker is probably at the very bottom with like maybe strong safety and then, you know, interior defensive linemen and slot corners and maybe free safety or kind of in the middle. I'm getting way off the way into the weeds. <laughs> Speaking of free safeties really quick, Eddie Jackson finally came back from his injury, played 14 defensive snaps, got injured again. And uh, that's what caused us to see more Elijah Hicks. Keep an eye on his practice reports. I believe Eddie Jackson can be fine once he comes back. 
I know there's a lot of sentiment out there that he's pretty washed and he should be off the team. I don't see it that way. I think he's still a good player. He might not be the same guy, but if he's healthy, I think he can still be a starter in deep leagues. He just needs to be healthy. Any other thoughts on this team? Yeah. Yeah. Quick shout out for the all 22 fantasy football platform, which, which kind of does which implements fantasy football in a way that we just mentioned. What is the order of positional value? Well, they assign percentages to it based on spending and it's edge first DI defensive interior, second cornerback, third uh, linebacker, fourth and safety fifth. And so the, 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 the two defensive line spots are in the five percentage points of um, your fantasy football value and then safeties down below four. So just uh, an interesting note. That's, that's a fun league to play in We're, uh, the folks in the IDP show, the gentlemen that host that are uh, Josh and, and Adam and, and Bobby are in that league as well. I love it. That, I love the concept of the platform. I haven't gotten on it myself, but maybe someday uh, if I ever give myself the time to actually dive sure. in. But as a concept, I, I love the idea of like good football players getting points. Just for whatever reason, that just seems so cool to me. <laughs> so I yeah, love that they crazy, right? <laughs> I know it's wild. Uh, speaking about good football players. Eh, speaking about you can't find one for the Patriots. Players, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not the South anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you can find one. He's just injured. Matt Judon's over on. That's IR. right. All right. Patriots versus Raiders. Patriots 17 Raiders 21. Talking about the Patriots defense here first. I, I I I know we have a prep doc, but there's one specific player that I really want to mention. It's Anthony Jennings, who continues mm-hmm. to lead the edges in snaps. Now he didn't do great this game. He had a 56 defense 56 defense grade, and he only had one pressure. But he had five tackles according to PFF. And with the injuries to Josh Uche and Keon White, I have to imagine that's only going to continue to be a thing. I think he's going to be a mainstay on this defense and in good matchups. I mean. There's a good chance managers didn't add him off waivers because they weren't paying attention to our podcast, but he's still going to be a guy going forward. And so I think he needs to be rostered in moderately deep leagues. And for whatever reason, he just hasn't been. And I honestly didn't even know who he was until like a week or two ago. So maybe that's on me. But how do you feel about Anthony Jennings? (laughs) Yeah, Anthony Jennings. Yeah, I think that's a great call. 81% of the snaps this past week, not producing yet, but this is Bill Belichick is not forgotten how to coordinate defense. And I do think that he's a guy that has some long-term value going forward. And it's not too late to pick him up on the waiver wire. Even if you're in a, in a league where, you know, you're not super deep, I still think that's a, a good opportunity to, uh, to go ahead and stab, take a stab at him now. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else on this defense even interesting? I, I never enjoy talking about the Patriots defense because none of it even matters. So, Let's go ahead and move on to the Raiders here. I'm looking at this defense here, and there's just not a whole lot of excitement going on. There's some decent grades for their defensive backs. I know Max Crosby is absolutely him, but there's not too much else going on here that I'm all that excited about. Maybe Trayvon Merrig putting up his third decent performance in a row. Wondering, does he have any long-term value? I'm kind of having a hard time believing in it because an interception is never a consistent, reliable stat, and he only got like three tackles in this game. So is there any player on this team that's actually interesting? I think Nate Hobbs was missing, so we saw some slot cornerback snaps from Tyler Hall, but 
I don't think that's going to be something we can rely on going forward. So even his decent score is kind of unreliable. Yeah, I agree. It's really just Nate Hobbs and, and Matt and Max Crosby. Nate Hobbs, where you need him in a CB required league. And then Robert Spillane. I think he continues to hold value for me as a low end LB2, a player that is playing 100% of the snaps pretty much every week, but uh, it's not super productive in the middle of this defense. He had a huge game a couple weeks ago with two interceptions. Again, not something you want to rely on. Just seven tackles in this game, but it's against, it's against an offense that's struggling to possess the football. And so I think that you kind of give him a pass for that. So uh, Splane was probably free in a lot of leagues, uh, shallower leagues, even after week one. So he's a guy I would hold on to, but um, that's about it on that, on that front. Awesome. I'm, I'm cool with moving on to the next game. Actually, let's mm-hmm. see one last thought here, looking at defensive line snaps on the edge. Yeah, that's ugly. That's ugly. It's it, yeah, it's Max Crosby <laughs> and nobody else. All right, we're going to move on to the next game. We got the lions versus the Buccaneers lions. Quietly sitting at five and one, beating the Buccaneers 20 to six. And Dan Campbell continues to show his infuring use of rookies. It's not limited to just offense either. It's Jack Campbell on defense. And oh my gosh, I just wish that we could see some more snaps from the guy. I know this is the oldest take in the book. Everybody is saying this, but he's continuing to be third on the depth chart when it comes to snaps at linebacker. But this time he actually graded pretty well. He got a 66.7 defense grade. Put up quite a few tackles as well, seven tackles, which was second most behind only Alex Anzalone, who put up nine tackles. But uh, I, it's been working for them. They probably won't change it up. Do we anticipate any change coming down the road? Derek Barnes isn't grading all that well, but he's still being used above Jack Campbell. So how do we feel about this? Yeah, you just have to wait until there's a change. You have to, you just It's a guy that you hold on your bench because I'm sure you draft them highly enough that you think he has some upside, but until Barnes starts to seed those snaps for that's it's, there's nothing to do. There's no actionable advice here. Really. It's just, you just know that Barnes has played 44 snaps had the um, decent, uh, not a very good grade, not terrible, but um, two total tackles must've missed a couple of tackles here. And so you just have to wait until the moment comes that they're ready for Jack Campbell to take on, that full-time role that you know they drafted him to do. You don't spend the 18th overall pick for a guy that plays 50% of the snaps every week. Yeah, so annoying. Uh, is there any, anybody you like at um, the defensive backfield? It's been a lot of turnover and turmoil in there with a couple of injuries. Uh, Brian Branch at one time was, was uh, scoring pretty well, but he plays primarily nickel. And the nickel in... Uh, and historically in an Aaron Glenn defense, Aaron Glenn came from New Orleans where he was a defensive backs coach and the nickel just had, was and coincidentally Chauncey Gardner Johnson. It's such a low floor for tackles that I worry about branches long-term viability. I know there's some folks that are high on him. Let's say you. I've liked him just because he's been getting good volume. Obviously he missed this week. He was replaced by Will Harris who just played terribly. He had a 29 defense grade. He played 39 of 56 defense snaps, but he was the slot corner which left uh, Jerry Jacobs and Cam Sutton to play the outside roles. But looking at the defensive backs, I mean, Tracy Walker and Kirby Joseph are the two guys we got starting since uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's been hurt. But Kirby Joseph, my goodness, he had a 27 defense grade. Surely this team is looking for opportunities to replace him. I'm I'm looking here. I'm having a hard time seeing why he had a 27 defense grade. He was targeted eight times. He only let up one reception. 
he had a pass breakup. He didn't have any missed tackles. Maybe it was just his run defense was a bad grade. His coverage grade was bad, but maybe there was some error here in how this data was inputted because I have a hard time seeing a 28 grade coverage grade when you were targeted eight times for only one reception. So maybe that's a PFF error. I don't really need to spend any more time on it, but <laughs> I think what I should be talking about real quick is Aiden Hutchinson having a down week because he had a 6.3% true pass set win rate here in week six. He's still doing very, very strong over the course of the season, even in spite of this game. This could just be a result of him lining up against a good tackle. And that's going to happen sometimes. It's very possible that this team just made it their goal to shut him down in the hopes of giving the other players on their team a chance to be successful. But that's what happens when you're as good as Aiden Hutchinson is. So are you concerned about anything long-term? You're probably not. So, Not really. The only thing about it is just you know, who's, who's his complement in that group, right? I mean, you got you know, Charles Harris is, the, is, the, is on the other edge, and then you have Olin McNeil, who they're trying to convert from nose tackle to three-tech. And that's the only real hesitation you have with them. But right now there's a defense that's, that's winning games, and they're able to play downhill, and so – yeah, I'm really not much concerned. I don't think that Aiden Hutchinson is going to finish the you know, top five in the season. I know some do, but I think he's a solid edge one. I agree with that. I think I'm ready to move on to the Buccaneers. So let's go and take a look here at their defense. And I think what's most interesting is just the fact that Levante David's still him. I don't know if people are surprised by this showing. I don't think they should be because he's continued to have great usage in a defense that is very productive for linebackers. But for whatever reason, people have just kind of got tired of him, but he did a pretty good job about showing us why he's still relevant. So I'm not sure much needs to be said about him. If there was anything to be said, what might that be? Well, it's interesting that he's posted his first 30 point game by a big, by a big three scoring since week 15 of 2021 with 12 tackles, two for loss and a sack pass defense and a, and a quarterback hit. Uh, so, uh, obviously he's the guy that plays the full compliment, but he's the one that did the pass rushing this, this week instead of Devin white and Devin white is usually the guy that's doing the pass rushing, but obviously they don't want to be too predictable. So they mix it up a little bit. And Levante David gets home. But yeah. It's, he's a guy that's just timeless. He's just, it's, he's just a good player. Bobby Wagner's another one. You just got a handful of these players out there that just know how to play the position and continue to produce them. But you think about the safety situation here. I know there's some folks that liked Ryan Neal coming into the season, side of the fact that he was a box safety. He has six tackles so you get coming back from injury. Uh, it was total defensive grade, 43.6. Uh, maybe there was a reason he was a backup in Seattle for all those years. Yeah, I think there's a chance that a lot of his production previously was a result of good usage and good situation and supporting cast as opposed to just individual talent because here he gets a 43 defense grade playing 67 of 70 defensive snaps just isn't a difference maker, which is a real bummer because I was really hoping he would be on this defense, but no, I think there's really only one difference maker on this defense, at least according to the week six PFF grade. And that's Vita Vea on the interior, getting a 90 defense grade. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, yeah, turns out he's good at football. Elijah you can see right there next to him, getting six pressures in a sack, even though he only got a 49 defense grade. So that's going to happen when you're grading at a 32 and run defense because you are his size. Turns out you're not Aaron Donald. And the Aaron <laughs> Donald comps were maybe a little far-fetched, but 
I think it's okay. I think we can, you know, be optimistic about his pass rush ability. And aside from that, I mean, yeah, Ryan Neal just screams mid. And I feel bad for saying it as somebody who who rosters him in a couple leagues. But I just don't really think he's a difference maker. You could throw him in your lineup consistently if he's like your safety five, if you're in that deep of a league. But I'm not out here putting him as like a safety two by any means. Yeah, I think Vey is interesting. He's it's between him and Dexter Lawrence is who's the best true nose tackle in the NFL. And with Vey out there eating that many blocks, I mean, Kansi's just so set up for success. It's interesting to hear. He's not grading well, but he's still getting those pressures because he's getting stunted free and he's able to make something happen even without playing particularly well. Obviously, he's a rookie. He's got a long way to go. But um, that's interesting to monitor going forward. All right. I'm ready to move on here to the Cardinals game. We're nearing the end of this episode, so we're going to keep cranking this baby out. Looking at the Cardinals defense here, we get the Cardinals versus the Rams. Rams win 26 to 9. Uh, but Kaiser White, man, he's uh, not grading super hot, <laughs> uh, but he's still scoring some points. He got 19.2 points here in week six, 15.7 on average through the first five weeks, but only a 33 defense grade. And I think. That's what's going to happen when you're a linebacker on a bad defense and teams try to expose you. I mean, I was going to try and say at least he's not Zayvon Collins, but Zayvon Collins actually got a 71 defense grade here, so good for him. Still can't get past rush wins, but you know that's what's going to that's what's going to happen. So it's it's tricky here because it's the dichotomy between skill and production, and I don't necessarily think Kaiser White is bad. I think this could just be a bad game from him, but. Are we concerned that that poor grade is going to have an impact over the rest of the season? I'm not really too worried about it. How about you? No, not at all. I just We know that Kaiser White's not a special player. He's never graded real highly. He comes into a situation where he's got not a lot of talent around him. The Cardinals defensive coordinator, Nick Rallis, 29-year-old guy, the first job, deserves some credit for having this group play above its talent level for the first five or six weeks of the season. And they're just going to have a hard time holding it together. They're going to have some bad games. And I really feel like that linebacker is that that grade is it's hard to be. It's really hard to be a good linebacker in the middle of a bad defense. And just you have so little talent, you know, nose tackle and defensive tackle in front of you. Not much in the back end. They're playing you know, safeties that couldn't make the Eagles 53 man roster. Those are your two starting safeties. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just going to be a rough go. And on the PFF grade, I mean, which you just have to, as a fantasy produce gamer, you're, you're satisfied with the tackle production that he's going to give you week in and week out. I, I'm not worried about him losing his job. What do you think about those safeties? I think one thing that's interesting about Kayvon Wallace is that look, I mentioned he got didn't make the Eagles 53. He gets picked up by the Cardinals off waivers, and they immediately plug him in as, as the starting strong safety after Buda Baker gets hurt, and he's playing just a chunk of snaps in the box. He's playing the uses that you would think that was straight out of 2017, and he's got some tackle numbers to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> this is exactly what you would imagine – a usage not skill kind of score sheet to look like because Kevin Wallace got a 45 defense grade that's nothing special it's not like the worst it's not the most liability I mean there are worse grades on this defense on most of this defense um but yeah I mean those tackle numbers they're not fraudulent they're not Mickey Mouse tackles I mean he's playing a ton of snaps in the box that's what's going to happen when you get that kind of a usage I also want to do a quick point out here to Andre Sachere or Sachere because he is filling in for the other injured safety. And 
playing a decent amount of snaps. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of snaps. He's playing all the snaps. I'm more so thinking about usage. It's a little bit more deep safety. Um, he's starting to be a little bit intriguing. His defense grade wasn't great either. He got a 57 grade, but it's a very, very low bar to be decent in this defense. <laughs> so if he ends up getting the start next week because uh, Jalen Thompson might continue to be out, then maybe you can consider him in the deepest of leagues, but I'm sure that there are still better options. So this entire defense is kind of weird. Zayvon Collins somehow getting one of the highest grades alongside Dante Stills. So this is just a really weird team that's playing decent against most teams, but against the Rams, yeah, no, not super great. So I don't think we need to spend too much more time on this defense. What say you? Yeah, the three tackles for Wallace is just a this puzzlingly low number that I'm sure he'll rebound from. Next team. Yes, exactly. Um, the Rams here. I'm seeing lots of good grades, and I think that we can probably understand why because there's a stud at the heart of that, and that's Aaron Donald. And when you play with Aaron Donald, good things happen. I picked the wrong week to bench Byron Young, the apparently 25-year-old rookie that uh, is doing pretty, pretty well alongside him. Five pressures for a sack. Uh, That's very, very impressive getting an 87 defense grade, showing it's not all a fluke. And I think that maybe we can just kind of continue to trust him. I picked the wrong week to bench him, like I said. I think maybe there's a chance that we just see some more consistent production going forward from him. What are you thinking about Byron Young here? I don't know if you have him in any leagues anywhere, but I've had the unfortunate pleasure of having to choose when to start and sit him and betting the (laughs) under on his tackle prop on underdog as long as they Mm -hmm. let me get it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting strategy. I don't I don't I haven't seen what the tackle props are, but these this guy that's playing 86% of the snaps and uh either playing an outside linebacker role with that they are going to have a handful of tackles from time to time. I have him in one league, a 20 teamer where I got him. I was surprised at how late he went uh in that particular league. I think I got him in like I traded into like the sixth round to get him in a 20 team league. That's uh, and I made, didn't start him either. I started Michael Hoyt, the other edge defender instead. And that was, of course, you know, for naught because Hoyt didn't collect a sack. But uh, but Young did. Uh, I, I really think that a lot of this production is, you know, he's got 87 grade and 88% pass rush grade for Young. is interesting and is worth monitoring. But I really think this is a situation where the, the Cardinals looked more like the team we thought they would be when we, when we started the season. Uh, they're running out of gas with smoke and mirrors. James Conner was hurt. And they weren't able to generate any any offense against the Rams this week. Yeah, Sean McVay owns the Cardinals. <laughs> that is for sure. Even with a new coaching staff, but that's all right. It's not until we get rid of our owner that we're actually going to see some difference in that situation. Just kidding. I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it. Not too many other interesting things to talk about on this defense, to be honest. Ernest Jones does Ernest Jones things, gets a ton of tackles. I'm talking a ton of tackles. And as... Nice of a performance as that was in big three scoring. It was lower than average for him, which is kind of unfortunate, but nothing really noteworthy aside from that. Safeties, Rusty, Jordan Fuller, both getting the full-time role, doing what you'd expect with that outside corners. Deion Kendrick, Akilah Witherspoon, doing about what you'd expect there. Kobe Durant playing in the slot. Aside from that, I mean, this team is pretty normal. Yeah, just not much, not much to see. We don't have impact edge defenders. It really comes down to Aaron Donald trying to 
make an impact. And then you've got that nice tackle production out of Ernest Jones. It's it's kind of a, a simple lack of excitement for that for IDP gamers. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and move on here to the Eagles versus the Jets. 14 to 20. Jets get the win here, making the Eagles now five and one. And I think it's time we stop panicking about Hassan Reddick because this guy got six pressures for three sacks, 62 defense grade, 31 points here in week six after he's been averaging only 10 points per game through the first five weeks. He's back, right? Or is he? Yeah, he is. Inconsistencies at the edge position. You're talking about players that are getting used to a slightly new scheme with a new defensive coordinator. It was just going to take a little bit of time for them to settle in and and to figure things out. And uh, granted, this is a good matchup in the sense that Zach Wilson's going to stand back there and eat the ball. But yeah, I I feel, I I still feel like uh, Hassan Reddick is in that, you know, that kind of that second tier. There's, in my mind, among edge defenders, there's just these top five elite players, and then you have about a dozen guys after that 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 you just know are good players that that may not crush it every single week for you, but you, you're comfortable starting, and you just have to ride out some of the bad weeks with those guys, and unless you have the opportunity to have two of them that you can platoon together. And that, yeah, you play matchups in that sense. But Reddick is the guy that you know we had, we we talked about a who was it we had a minute ago. We talked about another premium guy that didn't do anything. Oh, Hutchinson, right? Hutchinson had a quiet week. It just, it just comes to the territory. Reddick had a big week this week. Not at all worried about him. Uh, we, we, you couldn't expect the, the Eagles pass rush to be quite as prolific this year as it was last year. They had 70 sacks last year, which was the most by 15, if I recall correctly. So they're a little bit more back to earth this year, but they're still a good unit. They're still going to pile up some stats. Uh, the big story, I think from the IDP side of the, the uh, defensive side of the ball for the Eagles was Nicobe Dean returning. He had just six tackles, played only 36% of the snaps at a 55% clip. Um, I'm sorry, that's Nicholas Morrow. Nicholas Dean had 32 snaps, 49% clip, four tackles. Uh, I it's, And so he's platooning there with Morrow in the middle of that defense. Uh, I, I would expect him to return to full-time action and get that job back, and Morrow returns to the bench. What do you think? 100% agree. It's going to ultimately be Zach Cunningham and Kobe Dean playing the full-time role. Yes, it says Nick Morrow started. That's just he probably played the first snap, and then they could have just – Swapped back and forth from there. I really don't put any weight in that starting star here in this specific situation. Also worth noting, Terrell Edmonds now won the who is going to play more, Terrell Edmonds or <laughs> Justin Evans battle, except Reed Blankenship now got injured. So who's going to come and replace him? Surely Justin Evans. Oh, nope. Makai Garner. So <laughs> that was something, I guess. We'll have to see. I, I haven't looked in looked up to see if Justin Evans was injured or if he yes. just got benched. Oh, well, he's on IR. He got hurt. I don't know what happened to him, but I saw that he went on IR played hundred percent of snaps last week on IR this week. Uh, Reed Blankenship hurt in game replaced by, like you mentioned, Makai Garner, Sidney Brown was out. I think he was questionable going into the game. So I, it, so I'm not sure what Reed Blankenship's long-term injury prognosis is, but if Reed Blankenship is out, I think Sidney Brown is your direct backup. I would expect to see him and Edmonds in this defensive backfield next week. I hope so, because I have way too much Sidney Brown in best ball. I have Sidney Brown, Terrell Edmonds, and Reed Blankenship, and I was just setting myself up for heartbreak because, of course, Justin Evans and Makai Garner are going to be the guys to get snaps, but <laughs> it's fine. I'm over it. I don't really think there's too much else on this team we need to talk about. Everything else is pretty much expectation. You think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. All right, moving on here to the Jets. Yes, their linebackers continue to be great. CJ Mosley here with a 92 defense grade. Incredible job. He put up 23 points here in week six, but averaging, sorry, Quincy Williams put up 23 points in here in week six, 21 points per game through the first five weeks. CJ Mosley doing some of the same stuff, 18.75 points here in week six, getting 16 points per game through the first five. They're both startable. I We had somebody ask us on the preview pod previously, can you start them both at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can. This Jets defense continues to play a ton of snaps, even in wins. And so I think we can expect this to more or less continue. Yeah. Yeah, this is a defense that's going to have to stay on the field because the offense struggles to possess the football. I think the real story, too, is, is two parts. One is that Quincy Williams is playing, playing pretty much full time. But the second play piece is how much better he's playing. And then C.J. Mosley, meanwhile, is having a career year. That game against the Chiefs, I mean, Mosley was just everywhere in that primetime game that they played. I was like, this is like the best I've ever seen this guy play. So these guys are not only tackle producers because of the volume of staffs, but also have potential for big plays and a defense that's still pretty effective. It was really remarkable to see in the, in the looking at the play chart for the Eagles-Jets game this week. The Eagles had only four drives in the first half of this of this past week, and two of those we tr- ended in turnovers, and two of them ended in touchdowns. One of them was a 19-play drive. This is the Jets are a, a team that are – just trying to force you to try to just kind of outlast you, make you make a mistake, be patient, try to keep, you know, it's this, they're trying to force you to hold the ball. They're the kind of the classic bend, but don't break defense, but with the pass rushers that they have, and then the cornerbacks, of course, were both hurt this week. So you didn't, you, you had to see them play a little softer. Than they might otherwise have, but still it's just a defense that it, it's, it's scary how effective it could be. When we talked earlier about the Browns, this is the team I think that you might could make an argument for, in terms of the quality of players at the uh, on the defensive line and then at the and then the cornerback position. Yeah, I agree. And I think I was underrating their third cornerback who is Michael Carter because he had to step into a bigger role this year, play some on the outside. Now, he only got a 46 defense grade, so maybe not exactly what you want to see, but it's the third corner putting in a position where you're not used to playing. I get it. The last thing I want to talk about here is Bryce Huff. He played 50% of snaps. 77 defense grade, eight pressures for two sacks. Is that legit? Eh. I think well, he's just a situational pass rusher. I think he's a good situational pass rusher. But, um, you know, you're you're digging deep for a guy that you're ha- hoping to hit. It's almost like the old school touchdown vulture or fullback, right? It's, you're just hoping that your fullback scores a touchdown. If he doesn't, you don't get anything out of him. That's who Bikes up is for, deep, for defense. Exactly. Aside from that, it's – Pretty much the same stuff that you'd expect. Nothing super noteworthy. I'm I'm ready to move on to our final game. You think so? Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we've got the New York Giants just barely losing to the Buffalo Bills 9 to 14 on a sketchy no call. But oh well, that's not really our position to talk <laughs> on. Unfortunately, what I need to talk about is their edge rushing situation because Kayvon Thibodeau. Oof, he is not putting up many points. He put up 1.25 points for you here in week six. He's been averaging 12.4 points per game through the first five weeks. But those have kind of been Mickey Mouse points. I This is the third time I've used Mickey Mouse as a, as a <laughs> phrase to talk about, like somebody scoring more points than they really should be because he like got like very, very few pressures, but like a sack and really, really lucky. 
This is the one week where it's kind of been the opposite. He only got one tackle this week. He didn't get any sacks, but he did have six pressures. So his tackle grade's been pretty bad, but his pass rush grade's looking kind of decent. And unfortunately, my guy, Aziz Ojolari, I believe got placed on IR today. So we're going to see, unfortunately, quite a bit more of Jihad Ward, who got one pressure, which is pretty much exactly what you'd expect because it's Jihad Ward. Um, but the guy that's absolutely balling out is uh, more so the guy in the interior, Dexter Lawrence, who got three pressures here. So this was a tough matchup, only 18 pressures for the entire defensive line, zero sacks. So that's about what you're going to expect here in a bad matchup. But I know there are more exciting position groups that we can talk about here in a sec. Yeah, I, I, Thibodeau is a guy I had high hopes for coming into the season. I, and I, it's just, this whole season is just kind of falling apart for for the Giants, you know, pretty quickly here. They 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 almost saved it, <laughs> or at least K-State in it. But it was an interesting stat. They took their first snaps of the season with the lead and win a portion of this game. So um, they're just they're just they're just struggling. I, I I for a dynasty standpoint, I would hold Thibodeau. I think that he still has potential to be a good player. But of course, the production is going to come on a bad team, is going to continue to come from your linebackers who are out there on, on a defense that can't get off the field and uh, Bobby Okereke has 11 tackles, two tackles for loss, forced fumble, and two pass defense in a game where the Giants' defense was surprisingly effective. And it really had a lot to do, in my opinion, with, with play calling. I, I saw um, uh, a tweet mid-game somewhere from a reliable source saying that they had first uh, – the Bills' offense had the first overall EPA score for the week of all teams of this weekend that played, and the lowest – uh, passing grade, EPA pass grade at the time. And it's just almost like they were just trying to fight fire with fire. I just Josh Allen kept trying to play hero ball and they kept trying to throw the ball deep. And they really finally started to you know, generate a little bit of production by, by driving the ball and trying to take what was, what was given to them. But it's just, it's interesting to see that they invested that first round pick on the tight end and have really not adapted their offense in a way that I would have expected to incorporate that in there. And so uh, the giants were, you know, I, played with a lot of heart. Uh, I did think that they put a fair amount of pressure. It's interesting. You said 18 pressures, no sacks. I felt like they did a pretty good job of pressuring uh, Allen and making him think about some of those throws, and they forced him to a couple of bad plays. Uh, so, uh, But nevertheless, um, you know, the linebackers played a useful piece of that. Mike, Mike McFadden had a big interception late. He had seven tackles, interception, and a fumble recovery to go along with the pass defense and a quarterback hit. So uh, – McFadden is is kind of on the precipice of 79% of the snaps of a guy you might think about it weekly because of this defense might struggle. He might have to stay out there. What do you think about him? Yeah, he has so much upside. And I think that's what's also important to note. Like, yes, his snap share is low, but uh, maybe this is a little bit of a long shot. I kind of see him as the new Pete Werner of like a guy that doesn't typically say hundred percent of snaps but it's just so effective with the snaps that he does get that I'm kind of am not even worried about it. So does that make any sense at all? Am I going crazy? Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. I think about that. That's an interesting for perspective for sure. Yeah. I, he's a guy that I wasn't expecting to be useful, but he continues to be. Yeah. And he's even got that pass rush upside too. I mean, six pass rush snaps. Sure. But three pressures on those snaps, that's nothing to scoff at. I mean, I would expect like zero or one. So the fact that he's but, got 50% with six snaps is it's better than one, you know, it's better than Logan Wilson who got one pressure on one snap. Cause that seems kind of fluky. Yeah. Well, this is a team that likes to blitz, right? If it wasn't for Brian, Brian Flores being the ridiculous outlier that he is every day, that we'd be talking 
more about this blitz rate. This is a team that, especially with Thibodeau not producing, and then Jihad Ward, who might be the worst continuously employed pass rushing edge defender in the NFL over the last three years. <laughs> Sorry, Jihad family for listening, <laughs> but <laughs> it, you know, it's, you've got to do more than just rush forward. Hope you get there. You, you know, it's almost like every defensive play for the giants is like ripping the bandaid off and hoping you get there. So <laughs> yes, pretty much. I'm sure that's just in general how Giants fans feel when they watch this game. So I'm I'm sorry you guys. We're going to go ahead and talk about a different team now because it's uh it's time. It's getting kind of late. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the Bills here. And uh oof, What is what's what's going on here with the linebacker situation? Last week I thought it was going to be Tyrell Dodson cuz he played more defensive snaps. Up. Oh, nope. It actually ended up being Dorian Williams who played 65 of 77 defensive snaps he or earned uh 12 and a half points here in week six after averaging only 3.3 for the first five weeks he got 10 tackles and a quarterback hit terrell bernard continues to be the most productive player in this defense even if he didn't grade super well this week i kind of sort of don't really care because he's gonna play all the snaps they've got nobody else it's him Dorian Williams starting opposite him tyrell dodson played four snaps in this game he is not going to be a starter unless you see an injury to either Terrell Bernard or Dorian Williams. So there we go. Dorian Williams, his time has come. Fantasy managers are getting him a little sooner than they expected. I'm sure I still had him on the taxi in one of my leagues, and I'm kind of not ready to activate him because it was a little sooner than I was expecting. So are we excited about Dorian Williams going forward this season? Maybe I should rephrase this because I know we're excited. Terrell Bernard is blowing our minds with just how many points he's scoring. Can Dorian Williams be a consistent linebacker too going forward? I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, it's interesting to note his snap share. He played what was it eighty five percent? I think I read. Uh, so, not a guy that they're ready to lean on full time. Maybe because of his youth. Yes, he could earn the trust of the team. The line, the Bills linebackers. It's it depends on partly your format, but and we've seen a Jekyll and Hyde performances in a way. You know, but. What are the Bills? Are the Bills the first three or four games? They just controlled the, the football. Their defense played as few snaps as any defense in the league. And in the last couple of weeks, they played a bunch of snaps, and Terrell Bernard has put up double digits packet tackles in both of those weeks where they're 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 staying on the field. With, and so it's hard to know what to expect. I mean, it's you know, it's and so I it's you know, if you're in a big play scoring league, I think you 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 go ahead and stick them out there because you know that. Um, the Bills are typically playing downhill, um, but boy, I just, it's just the history, the track record of both Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano is such that Milano had a pretty good year last year, but, but there have been years where both of those players are have such low tackle floors that it's just it's hurt, it's hard to play them unless you're in a, a really big play scoring league, and so that would be my concern going forward. Terrell Bernard's kind of answered that with some of these tackle numbers lately, where you more con- more comfortable with him going forward, but I'd have to see more from Dorian Williams to cons- to want to rely on him week in and week out. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, especially <clears throat> considering his two missed tackles in this game. Like, even if he just has more tackle opportunities, who's to say he's converting on those? His youth is definitely showing in that department, looking like a 2022 Jalen Petrie. <laughs> uh, Ooh, speaking wow. of safeties here, <laughs> oh, maybe that's maybe a little too harsh. <laughs> maybe a little too harsh. Uh, quick note, safety usage, 
pretty normal. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer doing their things. Unfortunately, not a lot of tackles because they played against Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is not throwing the ball downfield. Their corner is pretty typical usage as well. Teron Johnson, though, had himself a game. PFF has him for 14 tackles. I'm sure it was a little different than that on the actual stat sheet. 15? Great. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Incredible usage. That's the one thing that annoys me with PFF's stats. Like They just measure tackles and sacks differently than actual stat providers do. They just kind of do their own thing. So Mm -hmm. that's why I can never rely on these. But their grades and all that good stuff, pressures and stuff is really nice. But anyways, we've got to the part of the episode where I start ranting about PFF, even though I love (laughs) PFF. Uh, Teron Johnson. Mm -hmm. Not consistent. It's That's what happens when you're a slot cornerback. He's one of the better ones in the league. He has been for a while now. But even still, you're going to have your up weeks and your down weeks. But he's showing why when you do have nickel cornerbacks, why you want to start them when you want to start them. Because they can have really, really big spike weeks. And they are slightly more consistent than outside corners. Well, I think he has just about as many tackles in this game. He, as he had on the season to date. Yeah, he has 31 tackles on the, he missed, I'm not sure if he played, he might've got hurt in week one, he didn't stab. But in weeks two through six, he has 31 total tackles and 15 of those tackles came in this particular game. And it was really a factor of Tyrod Taylor, Justin Pugh, and a very limited game plan that was just trying to hold on for dear life as long as possible. And it almost worked. But the, the Tyrod Taylor was... You know, planning his back foot and unleashing the football as quickly as possible on so many plays. And the result was a whole lot of short passing. I'd be surprised if he threw more than three passes to more than 10 yards down down the field. And so it's kind of an outlier game in that sense. But Teron Johnson has had a, a, you know, he has had a year, I think it was 01, where he was kind of a top, you know, top five or six cornerback of just really just based on tackles. And it's interesting to see in this game that you mentioned the safeties. Taylor Rapp's hardly playing at all. And he was a guy that I thought would, I thought they signed. I thought that he was wanting to sign to, to see some run. And here you are, they're down to their, you know, down to had, you know, a rookie linebacker playing and um, two, two backup cornerbacks with, alongside Teron Johnson. And they just still don't find a way or a need to have a, a dime defense with Taylor Rapp on the field. It's kind of interesting development. You know, what's really hilarious is I'm exposing myself from my football knowledge. I even watched this game. I know Daniel Jones didn't play, and I still mentioned Daniel <laughs> Jones as the guy they were playing against. So I really have no excuses there. Uh, maybe that's just a sign that we're reaching the end of this episode. So oh, yeah, how about <laughs> how about here's what I do? I'm really quickly. I'm going to pull up sleeper. I'm going to look at the game that is happening on Monday night because I'm assuming it's over. I think and so. I'm just going to see. I'm going to see if there's anything insane, anything crazy going on. Otherwise, I think we can just cut this off. We've got the Cowboys over the Chargers, 20 to 17. All right. Congrats, Cowboys fans. Um, Cowboys defense. How about this? Damone Clark had eight tackles, seven t- solo tackles. So that shows out to just eight total tackles. So really impressive there. Um, Marquise Bell is another guy, seven tackles there. I believe he was the linebacker starting opposite Damone Clark, who he's getting a lot of use there. So that's kind of that situation. Uh, Micah Parsons continues to be a little bit of a bummer, but he did get a sack in this game, so that's nice. And then looking at the Chargers defense, 
Kenneth Murray, nine tackles. Eric Kendricks, eight tackles. Oh, no, I put a prop on over eight tackles for Eric Kendricks. So that's a tough, tough one. Um, Khalil Mack getting more sacks, two sacks here in this one. And uh, aside from that, Joey Bosa here getting no sacks. Oh, did I lie here about Khalil Mack got one sack? So aside from that, nothing super, super crazy unless you're seeing something that I'm not seeing. Morgan Fox, defensive tackle for the Chargers. Two tackles, two sacks. (laughs) <laughs> congratulations if anyone had a chip on him this week, but I suspect oh, yeah. he was. I started him in all my leagues. leagues. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. All right, Trip. I think, uh, I think we're ready to close this one out. Thanks for yes, hopping on with me. This was an absolute blast. We talked about so much football, two hours and 15 minutes. Oh boy. This was a doozy. So listeners, <laughs> thank you guys for making it this far in the episode. We are so appreciative of the time that you spent with us here. I hope you learned a couple things. I hope that you feel like week six is a little bit more palpable after all of this information has been shared. But uh, if you guys have any questions about football, what's coming up next week, um, you can reach out to me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it at IDP Evan. You can reach out to Trip. You you are at Dynasty Trip on X. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Just making sure. And then we have the weekly preview pod coming up later this week. If you guys have start sit questions, you know where to submit them at the IDP show.com in the start sit thread. Aside from that trip, any final thoughts here before we close out this episode? I just thank everybody for bearing with us for two fifteen, and sorry to the IDP show for eating up that, eating that much, eating up that much your bandwidth. Look forward to seeing y'all at footballguys.com and weapon. Look forward to seeing you around on Twitter. And again, on this pod soon. I think. Awesome. All right, listeners, thank you guys so much for listening. Catch you on the next one. Peace out. Away, away, away. We could take a trip to anywhere you want to go. Tell me what you need. Yeah, everything in this moment. Like it, I key. Yeah, we gon' going to keep it on the low. Yeah, we can keep it on the low. want to keep it on the low. I'm too high for that. When I'd rather be alone, just writing raps. Because everyone fake, but I'm used to that. They done broke my heart. And-